This is former World Wrestling Federation superstar Duke the Dumpster Drosy, and you are listening to BBGWrestling.com. It's time to take out the trash. and welcome to another edition of Turnchuckle on bbgwrestling.com. I am Pablo and with me is the, uh, I want to say, Mark Merrow to my Johnny B. Bad. <laughs> I don't know if that's a compliment. <laughs> Are you saying that you're more pretty than me? <laughs> that I get chinned off a lass? <laughs> well, I, I do look better in assless chaps and uh, tassels. Um Maybe. You can have the assless chaps, but I'm not having you say you look better than me in tassels. Like, I didn't spend all those years singing country for you to look better in tassels than me, sunny boy. Well, there's uh, plenty of tassels that we'll talk about tonight, and whether they look good in them or not. Um, it's Tempest. <laughs> a lot of tassel hassle on the show. <laughs> uh, yeah, Tempest. How, hello, how are you doing? I'm not too bad. How are you doing, my dude? I'm all right. Um, yeah, I've, I've been keeping busy uh, putting together a, a massive online festival for one of my favorite bands because I run this uh, page uh, about a band called Jellyfish, basically. And uh, it's I've it, uh, been doing that for 10 years now, so I'm just kind of celebrating it and uh, getting a lot of people performing, including members of the band. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been keeping me quite busy. Uh, so what have you been up to? I've uh, resurrected my side of the bargain with Rogue Radio. Got one in the can, and I'm uh, doing another one probably over the weekend, getting all ready to launch next week again. Oh, nice. Okay. And, um, yeah, it has been a, a couple of weeks since we did our uh, last episode, which I believe was King of the Ring 96. Um, sure was. And that went down really well. And it was actually one of my favorite episodes, not just because it was my I mean, you actually picked the the topic, I think, but I, I very much. Oh, yeah, I did. I very much. You said you wanted to do King of the Rings, so I picked two that I knew I liked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what would be the worst King of the Ring? Oh, um, that, well, well, you probably one of the fucking modern ones that I've never seen. Well, no, I mean, pay per it's on Raw and that. Maybe, but ninety five will give any of them a run for the money. Ninety five, I've seen <laughs> once, and it's one of the worst fucking WWE pay views I've seen from the nineties, like. And I, I am pretty, uh, you know, I'll stand up for 1995, but uh, King of the Ring 95. I mean, there's been so much said about it, but we may at some point. <laughs> it's it's like your Survivor Series 93, isn't it? Like, oh. no matter how much you love a year, or oh, sold out 97 for me, it becomes hard <laughs> to defend the fucking indefensible, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it... Oh. We we should get into that. Uh, well, maybe <laughs> maybe just do a show just covering like the entirely indefensible stuff, but just one show. Otherwise, it'll probably just wind us both up. I think. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I can I can enjoy laughing at stuff now, like <laughs> twenty twenty hindsight and all that bullshit. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Um, so yeah, other than that, uh, in terms of wrestling stuff, I haven't really been watching. Sounds awful, doesn't it? I haven't been watching much on the network. And uh, there's not been a lot going on. What about you? What have you been watching? Um, I mean, when I'm working during the day, I often have it in the background. So it's been more Mid-South and a bunch of the Saturday nights that they've got on the network, which they don't have enough of. Yeah. <laughs> I will the- continue to harp on about that. 
in the Saturday nights, where are you up to on there? Is this what has led you to choose today's topic? I've actually been watching them around here just to refresh myself because 1992 was a canny while ago. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen a lot of this stuff since like roundabout then. Yeah. And so, yeah, today's topic is uh, Beach Blast 92, uh, which is uh, it's a very interesting event. And I don't remember much that much about it. I know I remember a lot more about Beach Blast 93 uh, because I think I got the video at the time. Beach Blast 92 did come out on video. And mm-hmm. uh, but I, I really don't remember uh, that much about it. Uh, but 92, 93 was when I just got into wrestling, and there was a lot Me of w- well, there was a lot of WCW stuff available in the UK, like exclusive WCW stuff, like figures and uh, videos and all sorts of stuff. Uh, so this, it was really easy to get your hands on it, and it was gen- generally cheaper than a lot of the WWF stuff as well, because you were getting in places like Winners. Um, that was the powerful thing about it, wasn't it? The, <laughs> the actual price. Like, for me, like, having a telly in my room when I was a kid to play me Sega on, mm-hmm. and, like, the uh, WCW being on ITV, so it was on free telly. Yeah. And, like, the tapes being dead cheap, it, it was just easy to get into. Like, there was a bloke who my granddad used to look after us a lot because my parents both worked. And there was a bloke we used to do horse deals with, and he, I used to often go around there, and I might get left there for a while when Grandad had to go and do something potentially nefarious. But um, <laughs> like the bloke who we used to leave us with was like a proper wrestling expert of the like sixties and seventies in America and England, right? And his son, no, not son, sorry, his grandson, who was often there as well, he had get loads of the WCW tapes from this period, so oh. like I saw loads of the stuff around then. Like, this was more what I knew about wrestling, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All I really remember is the Royal Rumble 89 tape and the SummerSlam from Wembley tape from roundabout then. That was the most I'd seen of WWE, really. Yeah, and and it could be argued as well that... I I, I don't know what month, uh, probably should have looked into it, when uh, WCW started uh, being shown on ITV. I'm assuming, and if I'm wrong, please you know feel free to write in, uh, that it was maybe after SummerSlam because they saw the popularity of SummerSlam at Wembley because that really did open a lot of doors for wrestling in in the UK, more than had already been opened with the Sky merger and all that kind of stuff. It just, I, I stand by that. They were on Sky though before, you know. Like I was too well, little was, and like, obviously we was. didn't have Sky. WCW were on when it was like B Sky B. That's interesting. I'm pretty sure they were on ITV before this point, but I was just too little to know, you know what I mean? Mm. Like 92 was my sort of period for being old enough to get into it. Yeah. There's um there's a clip on uh, of uh, GMTV uh, where uh, Big Daddy's the guest. And, oh, nice. And he's talking about, I think he's, you know, promoting some shows coming up and stuff like that. Uh, because, I mean, he's, he's not with any company at this point. And, I mean, the UK, I, I don't know if you could call it the independent scene, but, like, the sort of, I guess, the Brian Dixon scene uh, would have been doing, like... Was Brian Dixon the pretendy shows? No, no, he was... Well, I, I don't know if he did those or not. He may have, but he or he did have a reputation for sort of, you know, still having the big world of sports stars, and he was friends with Regal, because well, in 96... Well, it can't be him then. <laughs> he sounds no, too no, legit no. already. Uh, <laughs> Regal... Um, did a tour for Brian Dixon in 96 as WCW TV champion. And I got to see him. Um, oh, that must've been meant. I, I, I didn't appreciate it at the time. Cause you know, like I knew about WCW and, but I didn't really know about Regal. 
Um, oh, killed or swapped, swapped places. <laughs> um, and when he when he did a one man show in South Shields a few years ago, um, just I mean, being amazing, just telling stories and everything. I got to ask him about this that, and he said, "Yeah, it was just a did a favor for him because um, he you know did a lot of favors for me back in just the day." Spot um, show kind of <laughs> job yeah, kind of thing. Um, so uh, Big Daddy's being interviewed by like Lorraine Kelly, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> You know, he's talking about the basically talking about you know how like you you can imagine your granddad saying, "Oh, all that American stuff's just show." You know, <laughs> oh, I, I heard that a lot. <laughs> it's all a load of shite, man. Look at them just pretending to punch each other, a bunch of big puffs. Like I don't know. <laughs> um, but I, I I do get the feeling that he was like kind of. I don't know the the there must have been quite a healthy scene. You know what I mean? Because wrestling in this country back then. It really, like in the nineties, certainly it it felt like it was for families that didn't have a lot of money. It was cheap entertainment, um, and and I guess it was presented more pantomime ish just to get the kids and the families in. But there would also uh, be like Butlins some, wrestling, Butlins wrestling, and the, but there would also be some like you know top names from the past. And uh, I don't know if there were like any particular up and comers or anything like none that. I, um, it would be really interesting if we could find some cards or some information about that. It's stuff I'd love to know. It's just hard to find out there, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, I went to the uh, the British Bulldog '94 UK tour, and that was at uh, that was a Gated Leisure Centre, and I don't recall any names from there who like maybe went mm. on to do anything. If they did, I'd, I do apologise. Um, There's a major glass ceiling on being. A British star after WWE killed World of Sport, though, wasn't it? I think so. Well, yeah, it seemed that I mean, some wrestlers went to like the AWA and stuff like that. There was, um, oh god, what is it? That's gonna not that that was long for the world then either, like, no, it wasn't. Um, yeah, I have a feeling that like Davy Boy got away with it because he wasn't portrayed as like a British stereotype villain, I guess, and he could. You know, whereas... yeah, you don't come out dressed as one of the Avengers, like <laughs> with your umbrella and your fucking bowler hat, being like, "Oh, hello, what, what?" So tedious. But but there is the thing of like, you know, there, there probably weren't many spaces open for foreigners because, and I I kind of see the thinking that if you're going to have someone from a country, he has to be the only person from that country because it'll make them stand out a lot more. Um, I guess and. Uh, certainly back then. I mean, maybe to a point now, but... Uh, to be fair, it's not even as emphasised now. Like when AEW were doing that stuff with Anthony Agogo and they were going on about what a big deal it was to have someone British there. I was like, you've had Pac for fucking ages. <laughs> <laughs> he's had like world championship shots and that. He's, he's from doing the road. <laughs> <laughs> Unless they're just here, Geordie, and they don't even know what that is. They're like, are you a Viking? Yeah, that's... <laughs> Um, when uh, Christian uh, did a show in Newcastle years ago, uh, he thought that people were French in Newcastle because he he he, he thought that we sounded French. Bizarre, yeah. <laughs> um, definitely a, a language or a, certainly an accent barrier at that point. Soon was he just high? <laughs> like, <how laughs> you think that Geordie sounds French? You'd think like with non-French Canadians and that you'd know better. Though we do say a boot. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, um, how did we get on any of this? I can't remember. Um, I don't know. You are the king of the tangent, like. <laughs> king of, yeah. Um, so yeah, we're talking uh, Beach Blast '92 today. 
Yes, what are? Which was held in the Mobile Civic Center in Alabama. So they're out on the Gulf Coast, which seemed fitting for Beach Blast. It was on a June the 20th in 1992, and it had a house of, I think, about 5,000 fans, which is the kind of number I actually like. I know people are always like, look at this enormous dome in front of 60,000 people, but I enjoy the intimacy of like a kind of hall or a, a smaller basketball arena type scenario like that. Yeah, and and it could be argued that they were maybe lucky to get 5,000 people in at that point. Um, it's true. They'd, they'd been being run like shite. For a while, <laughs> um, there's no two ways around it. Like Bill Watts gets beat up a lot, and a lot of it's warranted for stuff he did. But for example, like this drew poorly in terms of pay per view buys and what have you. Uh, but the damage was already done before he came. You know what I mean? It had been so mishandled, and it had been a kind of corporate dumping ground for years that it, it, he 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 kind of what would be the word? Well, he just inherited inherited a big pot of shite. <laughs> There's, there's no way around it. But the, this is significant as being the first pay-per-view, I believe, that Bill Watts kind of ran in his era. And it was also the first of when they expanded the number of pay-per-views. Yeah. which so it mean, was dubiously close to a Clash of the Champions, which can't have helped its uh, draw in power. That was in like the same week. And from I, um, from what I uh, read, the Clash did the Clash did okay. Um but I guess free it was, TV. It was one of the lowest drawing clashes they'd done, but the clashes always drew big numbers. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I can't remember what it was, but it was something like two and a half or 2.8 million viewers or something, which was like bad for a clash, but it's not shit for something on telly, is it? Oh God, I've, I think any wrestling company would kill for that now. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, it makes you wonder whose like, idea it was to have their struggling company go from six pay-per-views up to seven. <laughs> thinking <that that> <laughs> There's a lot of mental decisions back then. <laughs> um, I have a feeling that like Bill Watts, he normally, I mean, you know, he says that if he's going to be brought into a company in any position of power, he wants total autonomy. And I think that kind of happened. Um, pretty much. I mean, having Dusty. His Ed- title is, is that he's the vice president, but he, he does have autonomy really. Yeah. Um, until you know suits, because I, I think that all the suits like didn't want even want WCW to exist. Never mind, yeah, for very Bill, much. Never mind for Bill Watts to be. <laughs> and I think it wasn't until Bischoff turned it around that they had any interest, and then they were like claiming it as if it was their own. Yeah, and then the second things got difficult, they started doing the same shit they were doing in the early nineties and like fudging the books and dumping the money on WCW and telling them what to do and just doing the same bullshit they did in the early 90s but because they got so big it was like terminal to do it then mm. oh, and from some of the stories that I've heard that as soon as Bill Watts came in people were looking for a reason to get rid of him um, you know so I think once he made those comments about uh, how that dude decided to run his restaurant and not allow black people in um, do you know he made those before he was hired it just hadn't come to anyone's attention well and, and the thing is as well the WCW top brass were made aware of it and he was let off. And it wasn't until years or about a year later, it was a someone fucking, told Hang Aaron, didn't fucking, they? Fucking Mark Madden. Um claims, was it Madden who told, told uh, Oh, he's dined he's dined off that for a while, uh, from what I've heard. And he he told them and then it got brought back into uh, it got brought back into attention again and then that was the undoing of Watts if you believe Mark Madden but Mark, uh, Watts says that he uh, he quit but 
he said loads of bad racist shit and oh, sexist shit when he was there. And look yeah. at the stuff. Paul Heyman's come out with some right horrors. Oh yeah, he did not like Bill Watts. Uh, as neither I don't blame I. him though. Like there was there was one point where the highest rated segment was a fucking great segment, by the way. It was the one with Paul Heyman and Medusa, you know, and Medusa's going to leave the alliance. And I fucking love that little run. It's it's pretty politically incorrect, but like, <laughs> but it but it's good. Uh. And uh Bill Watts kicked off because he was like as if a Jew and a cunt could have the highest rated segment on our show. And you're like, Jesus Christ, you fucking horrible bastard. There's no excuse for shit like that. No. And I think that's... he gets away a lot with it being an astute businessman in knowing to push black athletes because he's right when he says, you know, the NBA and the NFL, some of their biggest and best athletes are black people and like blacks are some of the greatest athletes in America. So having top draw and top card black champions in wrestling makes sense. But I think he's kind of got away with a lot where people think that that means he is like a friend of black people, whereas in reality he was like potentially in the clan, according to what some people said. And like <laughs> his mates like Dick Murdoch were definitely in the clan. So it's like, oof. yeah, and, and it does stuff that he's kind of, um, I think with a lot of things with, with Watts, the, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, because I think he had so many enemies that there's probably there are smears on him, but it's kind of hard to not believe a lot of them when you know a lot of the stuff that he has quite openly <laughs> said. Um, That's the problem is he's, a lot of them are quotable from him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm so not. Who laughing. did Bill Watts say that to? A reporter. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing. I'm not like, like trying to. Um, um, diminish anything that he said is not being offensive but it's just the shamelessness of it i find hilarious because it's just oh like... god me too it's tone deaf isn't it it's like this is 1992 <laughs> and you're working for a national global company <laughs> fuck me well he went to cnn tower didn't he and had his cowboy boots on and had the den- and it's like it sounds like pissing out like... the window and that <laughs> it sounds like something that you should love i was, but like... <laughs> I, was, I was gonna say you know what if, I, if it wasn't for the like racism and homophobia i would love it it's like stomping around a corporate building in my cowboy boots and pissing out the window and challenging people <laughs> to fight and that sounds like heaven well <laughs> but, well, like i don't i don't want to abuse like abuse and blacks and women and that like I draw the line there <laughs> oh, that's good to know. That's good to know. Um, so uh, you know, besides the the presentation changes that he made and the rule changes, this is the first show with those in, by the way, as well. Oh well, I mean, and we'll we'll get into the the beginning of the show in particular, which is a quite a crowd fucking killer. Um, he makes a lot of uh, budget cuts as well, which I mean, you just have to. Um, he was told to do that though. Funnily enough, to, to be fair to him. Well, he, uh, uh, according to Cornette, and I, I kind of believe him with this, that what said he didn't want a salary. Um, he said, pay me a percentage of what I make you or pay me a percentage of what I save you. And they would have had to charge him at that rate. Well, <laughs> well, they wouldn't do it. They, apparently, they, they, found, they thought that that was far too suspicious. <laughs> But they were fucking him corporately as well, though. Like, it would have revealed the boot cooking that went on the same as it did to Eric later on at the end of his tenure. And yeah. even God, for all of his terrible business decisions, the same as they did to Russo, they shafted Russo like that. With with Bill Watts, I mean, not owning a company does not help him uh, because you can't really have total autonomy and you've also got to deal with corporate 
you know, uh, infrastructure standards and, and stuff practice like. and bullshit. Oh yeah, I mean, and and you know, so he comes in and one of the main things he does is cuts people's salaries. And I mean, there's the story that he says to Brian Pillman, he's like, look, I, I want to pay you more, but you're just not drawing it, which might have been true, to be fair. It's because he said you won't draw it. Right. He okay. said you're too smart to draw it. Uh, so it's like one of the things people loved about WCW was like bringing in the, I think there was a light heavyweight title at the time rather than cruiserweight, but yeah. generally that junior heavyweight style that they were doing and getting guys like uh, Liger over and that. That's one of the things that attracted people to watch it. So then Watts is just killing that. He's like taking stuff that people liked about WCW that yeah. made them different to WWF and getting rid of it. Like get rid of the fucking ding-dongs and the candy man and all that bullshit. And well, then the- you could have a mixture of like super high-flying junior heavyweight stuff and really technical mat wrestling. And I realize I'm just like making my own fucking wet dream here, but you know what I mean? <laughs> Well, I haven't seen as much 92 and 93 as you have for WCW, but it really did seem like their roster was just full of tough athletes at that point. There weren't, it didn't seem like the there were as many ridiculous gimmicks um, as there had been. And it did oh, actually, yeah, there, there it did actually, but it, it, it came across more like a credible wrestling company, but it what it needed was a 1990s presentation mindset that Bischoff was able to offer that he and that again that's the thing about Bill Watts was that he just wasn't suited for 1990s TV presentation things that things had moved on by then but you know I I always disagree with this whole uh the WWE narrative of uh they they brought wrestling out the smoke-filled fucking bingo halls or arenas and stuff like that. it's like no they were still packing out 10,000 seater arenas and stuff it wasn't like they were just you know wrestling in a fucking tent before wwf <laughs> came along you know um oh, yeah, no. and and bill watts was you know he was running the superdome and all those kind of places and it's and just... those old mid-south shows are fucking fantastic yeah like me and the band both love them we watch it for hours and hours it just it works in that context with that roster and that crowd and he has none of that and time's moved on by a decade when he's doing it. Like, and and the thing is, is what well, I mean, you, people who worked for WCW and had only worked for WCW, like um, like Brian Pillman, or I mean, I know you worked for uh, Calgary and everything, but I mean, in terms of like real, like sort of worldwide or national exposure, or Two Cold Scorpion stuff like that, they were mm. probably only used to big salaries. And there's a story of Two Cold Scorpio once he got let go or left WCW, he was trying to work indie shows for like two grand a pop, and it was like no indie show is going to no. aff- <laughs> like we're not going to make that much. To yeah. pay that and he's like, oh well, I could yeah, I could reduce it to fifteen hundred, <laughs> and it's just like click no. <laughs> you could reduce it to go home. <laughs> Um, Shame though, because I loved Scorpio. He was someone I proper dug when I was a kid. Oh, he's great. And, and the thing is, I, because of the fact that wrestling, it is now in the 1990s, there are some very contemporary 90s elements to the show. And the wrestling can't really be faulted, the actual wrestling. Um, oh, I. But when you've got a roster like that, it's hard to really have a bad show. But Bill, what fucking tries? <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, he did his damnedest. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't fully got control of the 
presentation style you'll notice here. Oh. This is before, you know, he just like turns off all the lights. There's not a chance. Turn, turns them on when people come to the ring. Like, yeah. Imagine being in the audience and some cunt just turns the fucking light <laughs> off every time a match finishes. You're walking down the steps wait. with your pop and your popcorn and your fucking gun. You fall awesome. face first and you're painting that hot dog in the face. It would be terrible. Something tells me that Bill Watts was not a fan of the sandcastles and the rubber dings. <laughs> I love that setup, you know. You've got like, you've got all the spotlights everywhere, and I absolutely love that. You've got the sandcastles and the little changing huts that look like you're on Brighton. They've got Beach. a tiki bar, haven't they? Yeah, I think it's amazing. Me, I absolutely love it. I love it as well. Everybody's got fun beachwear on, except, except Bill Watts, who's been a boring shite. <laughs> like, you see Bischoff at the start, and he's got a shirt on that looks like that wallpaper, you know, and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where it tastes like fruit. Not that I wanted to lick Eric Bischoff on the stand, although my last word. Like, you had him, you got JR had yeah, well, that even Jim Ross. Parrot shirt. Something tells what? me Jim Ross did not enjoy wearing that shirt. I, I mean, think he should have given it a crush me when he went to WWE and started my Caribbean crush idea. I'm so desperate for a time machine to make happen. Well, he didn't enjoy the toga at WrestleMania 9, so there's no way you don't enjoyed. blame him there though. Do you want to wear a sheet that looks like a dress? No. <laughs> it's like, is it going to be a toga party? No, 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 no. <laughs> There'll be camels. Fuck this. The thing is, I've got to say, like, because one, even if you've, like, someone has absolutely nothing good to say about WrestleMania night, they went for that toga thing and went for the Roman Coliseum and all that kind of thing. But, Beach Blast, in terms of a fiend pay-per-view, was really the first, I would guess. I mean, oh no, Halloween, ha- Halloween so. Havoc, to be fair. And WCW... Yeah, yeah, true. Halloween Havoc... WCW were pretty decent at theming their pay-per-views, but it could, you know, depending on point of views or whatever, it could have been seen as trying to be WWF, but in some ways taking it further and make, but making it Southern and kind of fun instead of just... I was going to say, I don't know, I just thought it was like... Southern, but not like serious Southern. It's like, yeah. can you imagine some of the fun daft shit in like Memphis and Florida? If they had the money, they would have done stuff like this. You know what but, I mean? And and the thing is, it wasn't like they were having volleyball matches during, you know what I mean? No, like, it's proper wrestling. They've it, just it, got a fun themed set. They got a fun theme set. Unlike that SummerSlam when they did Divas Volleyball. Do you remember that? Oh, fuck that. <laughs> Who's that even to appeal to? Like, I'm a horny straight man and I don't want to see that bullshit. Even volleyball enthusiasts were just like, this isn't fucking good volleyball. <laughs> <laughs> what a terrible serve. <laughs> Interestingly, um, I think involved in this, when you're saying about Bill not liking the sandcastles, you would imagine. Yeah. I have a feeling Kip Fry is still there and this is like his last show. Right. Because this, you've got to bear in mind, in this 12-month period, they went through three heads of the company. Jim Hurd. And Kip Fry took over, and he started trying to make it a bit more show-busy. Like, he's the reason you get that cool Saturday night studio show where they've got, like, yeah, um, Ricky Ratchman or whatever you say, surname from um, <coughs> Headbangers Ball, and, you know, they've got, like, guys from Alabama on and stuff like that, and it's good fun. Yeah. But he doesn't really realize that he's not going to be there for long. And they right. bring Bill Watts in, and it's like just after this, Kip Fry goes and works elsewhere in Turner, and I think it's JR gets made his right hand man, ready for the next pay per view. I mean, to think there's three heads of a company in the space of a year is insane. It is, and, and you know, you say about Kip Fry knowing he wasn't going to be there long after a he while. He didn't know when he got the job, bless him. Oh, okay. Well, I was going to say it's kind of shit that you think you get made the president of a wrestling company and given a chance to turn it around after the Pizza Hut man's torpedoed it, <laughs> then you get fucked off for boring Bill. 
In, um, that's the thing I'm wondering at what point did Bill Watts realize he wasn't long for uh, WCW as well? Something, I mean, probably after um, like complaints started coming up about the whole racism and everything, but um, you know, that, that's the thing. It he, wasn't just that though, he was, he was bullying people, yes, he was. Like, yeah, he, he, he was challenged people to fights, and it's all being a tough man and the kind of general bully boy attitude. Like, you can see why. It, Bischoff should love him really because he would have had no chance to take over being a pretty boy who spoke corporate language if they hadn't had the proverbial bull in a fucking china shop <laughs> of having Bill Watts there, you know what I mean? But if you believe Sleazy E, he says that Bill Watts was like escorted from the premises when they got rid of him because <laughs> he's the only one who left under the maximum cloud. It's even as much as we laugh at Jim Hurd, there's a lot of shit people blame on Jim Hurd that wasn't really his fault or like it becomes the easy thing. They're like, he's a dumbass. He did these things, so he did everything. Yeah, and that's the thing. I don't think Jim Hurd was. He was the boss, obviously, but I think that he, to a point, he was beholden to corporate a lot. Yeah, and and he knew, I would say, enough to leave enough to the the uh, the booking committee or to Ric Flair or Cornette or Kevin Sullivan or whoever was doing that. I mean, he was sticky. He's fucking feet in there once in a while and they'd be like why but and it was then- stuff he was told to do though he just came up with shit ways to do it so mm-hmm. you know they buy all the old movies to make TCM mm-hmm. and they're told like promote these movies through WCW then he comes up with absolute horse shit like Oz but like <laughs> he was, that, he was, was doing what he was told to do he just did it fucking terribly yeah that was a that was one of Bill Watts's ideas oh no sorry I, I was talking about Jim Hurd I, I didn't realise that was uh... oh shit sorry it's just me I'm Probably been drinking too much. <laughs> what I mean is that was a Jim, that was a Jim Hurd one. Bill Watts would never have fucking gone for us. I mean, Jesus, it, it, that's true. It makes more like to have us from Alvida's in pet than us <laughs> in WCW. Well, you know that would have been a dream match. <laughs> Could have faced Bomber. Yeah. Do you think that's why uh, they called Pack Neville for a bit? <laughs> I forgot all about that. <laughs> Honestly, if Vince, if Vince had to see one episode of Geordie Shaw, you know that would have been Pac's character in WWE. Oh, Christ, I'm glad he didn't. <laughs> or one episode of Geordie Racer. <laughs> no, that would have been better, and except he would have made him a pigeon. Well, he, or he would have come down with pigeons. Like, he'd be like, you can fly, therefore you're a pigeon. Put on the fucking way. No, he would have been like Home Alone Woman. <laughs> like with a, a big fucking Mac on and just covered in pigeons. And then he can like, he can train them to like, you know, he throws the seeds all over his opponent and then they just fucking dive bomb the opponent. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> tell um, you what, Bill Watts probably also really didn't like. That which I really did like that glorious scene of uh, Jesse coming out with all the girls <laughs> <laughs> in the beachwear with Jesse the was nineties. Yeah, Jesse was in his fucking element on these, <laughs> wasn't he? It was absolutely belter. <laughs> and you know, J- Jim Ross talks about um, and and Jesse has as well. And Jim Ross has corroborated it um, that there was a lot of tension in that commentary team. Um, I know why as well. If oh, go on. Yeah, yeah, go on. JR regrets it now, he says, but at the time he was kind of new and Jesse had this amazing salary and had worked himself out a fantastic deal. Mm. And rather than thinking like, shit, I should get myself a deal like that, he just resented Ventura for it. Is that one of the main reasons he left then? No, he left because he was showing solidarity for his mentor getting sacked. Right, okay. Mm. 
So maybe he did get because that's the thing. Like um, Bill Watts knew he was leaving, so that's why he got Cornette to sign a contract for the the Smoky Mountain Invasion on uh, Super Brawl uh, Free. All right, because he was like, it won't happen uh, if uh, if we don't sign something, and you won't get a payoff or anything like that. And um, that's the only reason it happened. But that's when. Uh, uh, Cornette makes his debut with uh, the Midnight Express. Oh, sorry, with the Heavenly Bodies, and he does a, a work shoot, and he's just like, and he had cleared all this with uh, with Bill Watts. He was like, right, I, I'm going to say I hated Jim Hood, and I'm not keen on you either because you know you've done whatever. Like he ruined wrestling, and you're not much better. And stuff. you're not even, helping. Yeah, even though like he loves Bill Watts, you know, um, mm-hmm. but it's slagging off the company. Uh, but then Bischoff had taken over by that point, and it was him, Tony Schiavone, and Craig Levers who edited the promo and uh, cut out <laughs> all of it. And he was just like, "What the fuck?" Like, you know, it's we're trying to sell tickets here, and the the thought he was as a heel. But you've to play a devil's advocate, mm-hmm. that like I know Bischoff, but it's it's <clears throat> there's two ends to the coin. Bischoff's not that into southern stuff, but he adores a like reality based thing like that. Like that was his style that he introduced a lot. Oh no, no! Look, I'm Tony saying... Schiavone loves Southern shit. Like I can imagine that's a corporate message oh, yeah. handed down to them. I believe I, Cornette. Absolutely. I just mean I'd, I'd think that they're being told what to do. Yeah, it's another one of and those like I love Greg that... Leathers as you'd expect. Mm. Well, it's another one of those things that the truth somewhere in the middle. Like I'm a I'm a mm. big Cornette fan. I'm not big on the AEW reviews and stuff like that, but I do kind of use him as a source for some stories revolving this, you know, and maybe that makes me a hypocrite because I hate it when Conrad uses Dave Meltzer for everything. But, um, you know, I think Cornette... I only hate it when Conrad does that because he quotes it as fact and then he'll be like, and you said, and then the person he's interviewing is like, no, I didn't. He's like, well, Dave Meltzer said you did, so you fucking did. (laughs) How am I? He's like, I I was there. I was in the room. He's like, I was me at the time. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's (laughs) not what I mean. You know, and my breadth of knowledge isn't nearly as big as like like a lot of people's and stuff like that. So you know, my knowledge comes from like stories that were told on shoots or from reading various books and stuff like that. And I'm certainly, you that's know, all any of us have really. If you weren't there, that's yeah. why I always say like I've heard or like you know take it with a pinch of salt kind of shit because <clears throat> I wasn't there for any of it. I'm I was a gobshite kid in Gateshead watching it. Yeah, I don't want to pretend I'm smart. I'm, I'm anyone who's listened to this knows I'm not smart as a as a fan or otherwise. You know what I mean. And, and the whole point of this podcast really is to talk about our specific, you know, connections with things and why we Stuff like we them. find fun. Yeah, and like I'm I'm very grateful for our audience that find it entertaining and probably grew up in the same scenario. Like all our listeners seem to be people who grew up watching wrestling in the nineties and. There's a lot of them are British, you know what I mean? It's like it's it's our experience of American <laughs> wrestling in that period. Yeah. Um, with the WCW pay per views, were they shown on Eurosport at this time? Do you know? I really, honestly, can't remember. Because we I mean, wouldn't it, have had Eurosport anyway. We didn't have Sky. Anything uh, okay. I saw was on tapes. <clears throat> so you also never know if there's like you remember like this Jim Hurd era stuff that I remember as if I watched it firsthand. But I will have re- in reality seen the tapes in the Bischoff era before Nitro. Mm-hmm. So then, like, I'll be like, "Oh, I remember watching this," and like, loads of this, like, when we're talking Black Scorpion stuff and that, and I was like, "Oh shit, I remember this from being a kid." But I hundred percent wasn't watching it in like 
1989 and 90, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and when WCW had the ITV show, um, Eric Bischoff had a segment called WCW Magazine where it was... That was, on, that was off Saturday nights, that. Oh, there you go. It was, it was an update section because um, we got worldwide over here, WCW Worldwide, Aye. and there were exclusive matches on that. And, I mean, their roster was so full of good names that, like, it wouldn't be out of the question to have Rick Rude against Barry Windham like in a in yeah. the third match or you know what I mean and it's just but I mean this is also during they the showed stuff of, off the clash and the pay-per-views on that as well if you remember yeah. well yeah well that's what they did during like what I remember specifically during the magazine uh segment as well because mm-hmm. it was that, like a, that's what I mean sorry Hi. yeah um so you know we did have access to uh certain things but again I was so young I mean one of my earliest memories of that worldwide show was uh I think during the intro it was Sid and he, do you know when he would crawl over to the camera and stare at the camera and say something down the lens after? It's kind of scary on. looking. Oh yeah, I think anyone who like acknowledges the camera in that way, they to me they're not talking to an entire audience. They're, they're talking, talking to you. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, always a WCW thing that as well. They kept that going throughout. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, right, Beach Blast ninety two. Let's uh, let's dive in. So you start with what would be something of a dream match, which should be, later would be known as like Raven versus the Loose Cannon, but at this point <laughs> is Scotty Flamingo versus Flying Brian Pillman, which is still something of a dream if it wasn't for the fact that Bill Watts has just made a rule. And for next week, I'll actually get you out Bill Watts's Ten Commandments that you had to fucking abide by. But one of these was that you weren't allowed to come off the top rope. So you have a guy with flying in his name and another guy who's named after a bird and neither of them allowed to come off the top rope in a fucking light heavyweight match or cruiserweight match. I can't remember what they were calling it at the time. Well, just before that as well, because like Ventura comes out and he's great and everything and the commentators have got the crowd hyped up and then it's like, here comes Bill Watts. And, and oh, I forgot, yeah, he unhypes us. <laughs> I forgot you, all you about genuinely that. genuinely hear the crowd get more quiet and just lose all enthusiasm as pumped the fuck after Bischoff and Tony have just, <laughs> just given you everything they've run down the card they're like pumping up this party in Alabama Gulf Coast crowd and then Bill Watts is out to be like I've got 15 minutes to say the same thing but make it less fun great and, yeah um, and he goes through like the entire card and all the stipulated stuff that has already been talked about and will be talked about again throughout like the night like a minute before yeah it's yeah he's <laughs> And you're just waiting for him to That's go. That's ego, that is. It is ego. It is ego, but it could be him not having any script or direction or, you know, and just getting lost. And like, just, just fuck off and let the announcers do it. Yeah. And like it, one of the downsides on the Mid-South stuff, he has it well booked. But like, when he's on commentary, by God, it's meandering bollocks and it takes <laughs> you out of it. And when you're on a live pay-per-view, I guess you've got as long as you want. But I, I would hate to think that uh, Scotty Flamingo and Brian Pillman had like five minutes taken off the match because... Of- For that rambling <laughs> shite. <laughs> oh, and we should say as well, there was a dark match. Um, oh, I forgot about that, I. The, um, before you uh, take us through the, the opener of the pay-per-view, um, this just shows how crazy the format was for this event uh the dark match was a six man uh with junkyard dog tom zank and big josh against tracy smothers richard morton and diamond dallas page um, i would love to have seen that you know like there's six people that i like, <laughs> like and, and all of 
And before that, because I didn't realize that Tracy Smothers was a heel at all in WCW. And you said he was, was he a part of the, no, he wasn't in the York Foundation, was he? But he was teaming up with. The York Foundation died out pretty much as soon as Bill Watts got there. <laughs> this is an over gimmick. Let's shoot it down. Um, pretty much. <laughs> but but it, stri- it strikes me that they, Richard Morton stayed as Richard Morton post uh, York Foundation. Because Taylor went on to team up with Valentine. But it wasn't like they brought back Robert Gibson. They were teaming up at this point, right. Taylor and Valentine. Um, underrated team as well, I would say. Oh, definitely. Um, I, I, I like them as a team. So I think people often as well, they dislike Terry Taylor, either because they've seen the Red Rooster and how shit that was, or because of stories of how he was backstage. But like everything comes through an editorial lens that everyone says, I wasn't backstage, so I'm not going to hate Terry Taylor for how people said he behaved as a corporate stooge. I'm just going to go by what I've seen on camera of him oh, as God. a guy in the ring. And in I, the I, ring, he was fucking great. And and again, you would hate every wrestler if you had to go by some of their real life, uh, you know. It's true as well. And the things he's done aren't fucking half as bad as other people. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, Junk Your Dog, uh, Bill Waters, one of Bill Waters' favourites. I'm sure he brought him back uh, specifically, I'd imagine. And Junk Your Dog did lose the weight by this point as well. Um, so he was looking better than he had in a good long while. I don't know too much about JYD's 92 run. Um, I don't either, to be honest. Uh, and did they have the six-man tag team title at this point, or was that scrapped? No. Right, okay. I'm almost certain they didn't have the, that belt at this point. Either way, it's a, it's a crazy, uh, a crazy uh, six people to... And this sounds like it would be a lot of fun. Um, and it's a shame that it wasn't on the pay-per-view. That much star power... In a match, because Tom Zenk was over like anything during this time. Oh, absolutely. Um, and uh, yeah, no, it, it sounds. Can't like... imagine what's like Tom Zenk though. Probably not. Well, I think he was one of those. I, I, I can't imagine. Tom You're Zink handsome like... and modern. Fuck you. <laughs> you come off the top rope. Ropes are for looking at. <laughs> well, I think he might have saw Tom Zenk's clash at the champions uh, crossbody and maybe brought in the <laughs> Tom Zenk to be. <laughs> <laughs> Bless him. So, so yeah, so we can't talk much about the match because we ain't fucking seen it. <laughs> I've never seen it, so I wouldn't like to speculate. But on paper, I definitely want to see that. It, it sounds like it would be fun. It makes you wonder if the WCW dark matches were filmed. I mean, some of them were. Um, Duke the Dumpster Drossy had a WCW dark match as a tryout uh, during the Night Road era. Yeah. Um, wow. And it didn't work out for him, unfortunately. But uh, and then he had to be a bin man. Poor lad. <laughs> Oh no! This was after this. This oh. was like this is like ninety seven, ninety eight. Um, you had to try. Oh out. really? Yeah. Um, then he uh, went on to have a a reasonable he a teacher, didn't he? He did um, much later on, but he went on to go to Germany for a bit and uh, had a bit of a career there before. I think it was just bit too much room at that point. But uh, yeah, we're certainly not talking about the dumpster <laughs> during this. You um, you managed to bring him up on every show we ever do. <laughs> And WrestleMania 9 as well. That appears in every show we ever do. I do apologize. So anyway, yes, Scotty Flamingo <laughs> and Scotty Flamingo and Brian Palmer. It's a long match, but it doesn't drag at all. I love this match. It's a long match, but it's a good match. Yeah. And I mean, it needs to be to apologize for how Scotty Flamingo looks like. <laughs> what an absolute clip. He comes out in like a leather Stevie Ray Vaughan hat, those sunglasses and cycling shorts in yeah. a jacket that if it wasn't so much smaller, I would have thought he chawed off Jesse Ventura. <laughs> like, if it wasn't for the fact that it would only fit on like one of Jesse's hands, then I would have assumed that was out of his wardrobe. Like. 
Um, how do you think that someone like Jesse Ventura is dismissive of people like Scotty Flamingo by ninety two? Because he's not. He's doing it for I, the page. I didn't get that watching it. it. I didn't right. get that watching it. Did, did, is that something you picked up? Like, I don't know. I think he was. I get the feeling that he was like. He probably thought of WCW as a bit small time and maybe a bit beneath him, but the money was there. Oh, I don't know. Um, I never got that opinion. Like to me, his character on commentary was always that he was a dismissive heel. He would he would treat stuff almost like he was a modern podcaster who's shitting on it as it happens. True, but I always I, thought that was just character. You, he you did could, the same thing in WWF. That's true, and it, but you, to be fair, you could tell that he was a fan of Brian Pillman from his commentary. Um, oh, definitely. I, th- I think he respected anyone with like a legit sports background, and I don't, I don't think it was this event. But when Jim Ross tells Ventura that he was a nose tackle, he just could not get his fucking head around the fact that someone Brian Hillman size was a was a nose tackle. I'm pretty sure that is that is, is the it? show, you know. So I was just about to say, like, I love that he has the Bengals helmet pattern, like the tiger mm. pattern for his trunks to like pay homage to his time as a nose tackle, but like. For anyone listening who's not an NFL fan, like obviously, firstly, a nose tackle isn't snout bollocks, but like it's a defensive <laughs> position. Like, if you're a defensive, you're basically there for muckle bastards to run at you, and you've got to stop them from running. So uh, it's raj that someone like this, basically the size of me, was a, a nose tackle. Like Ron Simmons was a nose tackle, and I believe that when I look at him. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Sorry, I'm still on a snout box. <laughs> Don't worry, the come down's not that bad. <laughs> That's the thing, things that are just throwaway lines for you are just like fucking, I'm still laughing at them about 10 minutes later. So, um, Sorry, dude. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this was for the WCW light heavyweight title and I, I haven't seen as many of the Saturday nights as I should have. Uh, does Pillman defend his belt on a lot of these? Yeah, not really. Uh, right, okay. Because it makes you wonder why they felt it was worth him losing the belt to Scotty Flamingo. He only had it for 15 days. I thought it was just because Bill Watts thought nothing of Brian Pillman. <laughs> it's quite possible. Um, do you know who Scott- Do you know what, though? They, sh- they should have shoved it down his throat with the way this match starts because they trade a series of, of very legit-looking like old-school holds on each other. Uh-huh. That was a weird part where Scotty scrubs Pillman's bum during that while he's hooking his heel, which is pretty unorthodox. But like, other than that, the mat wrestling between these two, who were known for jumping about, was very impressive, I thought. Do you reckon they were trying to show Bill Watts like, what they can really do and that they can really go? Oh, I bet. I mean, and the thing is as well, with Pillman getting his salary fucking slashed, he probably felt there was a, there probably was a chip on his shoulder, and quite rightly. So he showed yeah. his he showed An his athlete work. should have that chip on the shoulder. Yeah, the the um the light heavyweight title. It's got an interesting uh, history. Brian Pillman. I mean, he has the uh, the match at uh, Halloween Havoc, and uh, then loses it to uh, Fundalaga um, at a house mm-hmm. show, which like doesn't say much about the title when you lose it at the house show. And then and then Pillman. Win- to be fair, sorry to jump in and play devil's advocate there. Yeah, one thing Bill Watts was trying to do in this era was put emphasis on house shows. Right, and there okay. was a the house shows had been so shite in terms of attendance and what have you. They were trying to put an emphasis on it, and that's why a lot of them were filmed at the time, where it was like anything can happen. Like after Beach Blast, there's a few little title changes and stuff, but they happened just before a clash or pay per view. 
So it has to be explained to people before, and they're like, what the fuck? When did that happen? So it doesn't really work. But the idea was to get people going out because otherwise you're at a house show or a spot show or whatever, and you just think, wait, obviously you're not going to lose the belt because this isn't on the telly. So that was a positive he was trying to do. Well, was Bill Watts still running things? I guess he was in 93 when Sting and Vader had the title switches in England and in Ireland. It's a good question, actually. I'd have to look into that because I can't remember the exact time frame for the switchover between Watts and Bischoff. It would make sense. I mean, and and so Pillman wins it back at Super Bowl 2, which is arguably Pillman's greatest match against... It's uh, a fantastic show, that. Yeah, against Liger, and then loses it to Scotty Flamingo here, which is... It feels odd because... Pillman always seemed like the person that you should potentially build your company around. And then they always kind of like, you know, cut him off by the legs, uh, which is a terrible play on words considering he fucked his legs. Fucked his legs. um, (laughs) And then Scotty, so Scotty Flamingo only had it for 15 days and then uh, he lost it to Brad Armstrong at a house show. Um, Mm -hmm. That was definitely one of Bill Watts' ones where it was like to get people to go to house shows. I remember that being quite a famous occasion. But the thing is, though, then it was just, it was gotten rid of after that. They vacated it like a fortnight later or something daft like that. <laughs> and then we didn't... Sorry, I say vacated, defuncted, deactivated, whatever the phrase is. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, this this is a, a very good match. Um, and it shows that there was still, you know, if, if Bill Watts maybe gets stick for certain things, I don't think he was against you know, young athletes, as long as they had like a pedigree to them, I guess. As long as they were large. <laughs> that was the problem these lads had. Yeah. Well, I mean, are you, are you surprised that they were given 17 odd minutes on a paper? No, because he just doesn't believe in short matches, does he? Also, they, they made those minutes great. Like it flies over. It does. And it, it, it luckily is the first match because for me, and maybe this is my being a WWF fan, potentially. I, maybe not. I don't know. I, I, I'll put this more on the, the way the show was booked. Um, the long matches were all over the shop, and it just made the pay-per-view drag a little bit for me. In, in it, dra- it drags later on, but I definitely didn't think this was one of them. No, oh, I really no. like the finish as well. It oh yeah, a no, dynamic it, finish. It had to be the first match, um, and it worked really well for the first match. So, yeah, what was the uh, what was the finish? So Pillman goes for that shoulder tackle where he dives over the top rope onto the ramp and mm. then he misses and completely hurts himself. And this lets Scotty Flamingo jump up on the second rope since that didn't seem to get you disqualified for some reason and jump off and put a knee drop into Pillman's back mm. and pin him once he got back in. And I, I just really like that finish. Like I like it, it's, it's not got shenanigans, but it has a reason for the face to lose. And I really like that because when you think of real sport, in reality, you don't like fucking pants the referee or something like that. And then when he's not looking, go and handball it in. You know what I mean? Like if you're playing football, whereas this was just, there was an event happened to one of the people and it was like a freak accident, which let the other one take advantage and pin him. And that's like proper sport and style. Yeah. And I mean, as someone who doesn't really watch much football, but I've been just fucking gripped by the Euros this week some of the decisions have been made from accidents or from bad calls or whatever. And that kind of thing happens. And it's real it, sports drama, isn't it? It's sports drama and it adds to the heartbreak and like sort of, you know, the, uh, the anger, just, and I'm not saying anything that literally everyone like already doesn't know, but it's just like, 
God, there needs to be more of that in wrestling. Like, 100%. Like, stop going more towards entertainment and keep it like sports drama with entertainment in it. Mm-hmm. Don't make it like entertainment that occasionally threatens to be slightly sporty. Mm-hmm. Well, no one ever seems gutted that they've lost a title or no one ever, you know, after getting pinned or whatever, it's never by like a freak accident. This is why I'll, I'll always say when Yoko lost the belt to Brett, it was brilliantly told because he got knocked out earlier that night so his head was done in and that's why he fell off the ropes and it only took three seconds for brett to pin him and you know Pounce that on him. Yeah, that's yeah. that's like real though that's really good like, i love stuff like that yeah and, and I like i don't need an exploding camera only the opposite <laughs> you know what i mean um and and mistakes because you, you see wrestlers botching and stuff like that and that's one thing and uh, to me as long as they don't break the neck if someone botches and on the floor kick them in the fucking head like, you're trying to win the match totally let the commentary be like oh you missed like yeah. you, you're talking about football every free kick you hit isn't a perfect curling sailing top corner monstrosity mm-hmm. loads of them just fly into the crowd or go into the wall like, that's, that's the botch that's why it's I real feel, sport well that's why I feel like you know wrestling moves if they're going to miss or whatever. It can't just be because someone's moved out of the way. Maybe the person like doing the moves fucked up or something like that. Like that. I don't think totally. any- I hate how people are always like, Oh, it's a cliche to say, Oh, he didn't get all of that. No, it's not. It's the fucking truth. Yeah. And it's like, if you ever, if you ever had a, like a fight with someone in real life, like not every punch lands, like when you grab someone, you don't just effortlessly take them over in a headlock. You know what I mean? It's a struggle and it's ugly. Yeah, but don't you think, though, someone only barely gets a drop kick that the person selling it shouldn't sell it nearly as much? You know? 100%. If they barely get it, you should stagger a bit and be like, oh, that was close. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm big on... That's one thing I agree with Bill Watts on, is keeping the sporty stuff looking real. And, I mean, this event does that in spades. Um, oh, definitely. So it just I- then uses little beach spades to ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> a little sandcastle of spades, because... After that glorious match, you get Johnny B. Bad coming out looking like an even bigger bell end than Scotty Flamingo did, which is really going some. I'm, I'm, you have to say, you can tell it's the Bill Watts era, though, because they're going to have a bikini contest, except it has loads and loads of rules, and it's the best of three falls. Like, Jesus Christ, just let the girls wear bikinis and look pretty. Yeah, so this is uh, well, what I love as well, because, I mean, again, stuff you couldn't do now, but, like, Jesse Ventura's just offended at the the concept of Johnny B. Bad as he's walking out. He's like, he doesn't even look like he likes girls, does he? <laughs> I love when he says, like, do you even like girls? <laughs> but, but remember, he's not saying what I like with Jesse there. It's not being gay as bad. What Jesse's saying there is just, like, I should be, um, what's the word? I should be the judge of this bikini contest. I was here with all the beautiful beach babes at the start. You've got these two beautiful women here, and then you've got this guy. He doesn't even like girls. Why have we got this gay guy doing the contest? It should be me. You know what I mean? Well, taking life into his own hands, coming out in Lippy in front of a Mobile Alabama crowd. Oh, no, fucking (laughs) hell. I'm so pretty. Going up with his little garter belt, being like, do you want to put some money in my leg, little girl? You're like, fucking hell, mate. It's a a raj character. I can't believe Dusty put that on him and thought that would get him over. (laughs) It's yeah, I, I think only because two beautiful women are just about to come out is why snipers don't take out Johnny B. Pad <laughs> for this uh, for this uh, segment. <laughs> um, so he brings um, does he bring them out straight away or is it later on? No, there's some bad jokes first, and then you get them bad. one at a time as well. 
These were bad jokes with one D. (laughs) (laughs) Awful jokes. Awful jokes. And then Medusa comes out in like a wedding veil, doesn't she? (laughs) Yeah, because it's it's three different. um, There's uh, evening gown or something, and then bikini. Yeah, that's the first one. And uh, evening gown, bikini, and itsy bitsy teeny weeny bikini. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Timmy Mallet was probably number one at this point as well. <laughs> it's true. Oh no, you'd just be number one. I don't think it probably did that well in America. Maybe. <laughs> Remember when we were on the radio and we accidentally discussed whether or not he might be a nonce? That was so funny <laughs> on live radio. Well, we. I wanted to. Um, oh God, I don't think it matters now. I think we can tell people. Yeah. Um, I mean, you just have. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Yeah, we're doing like a, a, a the old radio station where we did a couple of shows that, and um, I wanted to play because I actually thought it was genuinely catchy song, the 1960s version of uh, It's a Bitty Team, not the fucking Timmy Mallet Butlins remix. And um, so I put it on and then <laughs> forgot to turn the faders down. And the line from you was, I can't believe he's not on U Tree. <laughs> <laughs> that was on live air on <laughs> FM radio. <laughs> And he's not. Welcome to Tempest. He's definitely he's not, not. And no, I like Timmy Mallet. He's all right. And he climbed a mountain for his dying brother and stuff like that. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Medusa oh, I'm got... sorry, Timmy Mallet. I'm sure you're listening, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Come and hit us with your massive rubber hammer. No, no. That sounds like I'm inviting him now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the things you can do on podcasts that you definitely can't do on live radio. You know. Um, so nobody yes. takes me seriously anyway. <laughs> well, when Timmy Mallard doesn't take you seriously, you know you're in trouble. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so Medusa comes out in the wedding dress, and I don't get this evening gown stuff because they couldn't I don't be either. covered if it's a beach thing. Who wears a freaking wedding dress at the beach? <laughs> oh, you know. Also, when is a fucking wedding dress an evening gown? Yeah, what does uh what does Missy come out in? Less. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would hope so. Yeah. Well, the thing is, though, Medusa, it's been a heel as well, and she seems. Uh, the players well, are right. She's snobby to the crowd. And just snobby. She, and she, and she also seems a bit hesitant as well, because, like, you know, I think she's like, I'm too good for this. And, you know, she's mm. totally not into Johnny B. Bad perving on her and stuff like that. No, so she, Jesse's practically knocking one off when she goes past her. <laughs> um, so, yeah. This, juicy doocy. <laughs> it, um,. It should be brilliant, but it just it has Bill Watts just trying to take every bit of fun out of it possible. It's like I said, loads of rules and best of three falls. Just have them out. <laughs> Let them look really hot. Let them have a cat fight. Continue the dangerous alliance story. But uh, and they were hot. They were hot. They're still they hot. They were hot. Like, yeah. Uh, so we move on to Ron Simmons and uh, Terry Taylor. Yeah, the tailor-made man, the master of the five arm. I love that. That his forearm was so good it was one more. <laughs> and besides Mid South, I think this is the best he ever looked. Yeah, probably. That's that's fair. Who would have thought that Terry would get over better being Terry Taylor rather than a fucking chicken? <laughs> hey, good on him as well because he he made that tailor made man work after. I actually like that gimmick. Yeah, and because he came back from WC uh, from WWF after, and Jim Ross even on commentary was like he's had a trying couple of years. <laughs> in a, in God a... bless him. No wonder he ended up being what people perceived as a knob. Who wouldn't if they had to run around going? Bruh, 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 bruh. Like I'm sure I remember Bobby Heenan being like, "Oh, you know, I'm gonna have to teach him how to wrestle and that." You're like, "For fuck's sake, this is Terry Taylor, man." Oh uh, yeah, well that's the thing. I never. 
the the whole Bruce Pritchard thing of like he was he was the red who says the cock of the what and that's how he's trying to justify the gimmick. It's like no, you literally Fuck brought him is yeah the, the gimmick was that he was average that was his gimmick and that yeah. Bobby Heenan would uh, Terry Taylor first came in as a face very very early on and then he was looking for direction or whatever and Heenan on TV is like um oh I see something in him you know I'll do something with him and then he brings him on the brother love show and he's like you know he may be average and he's like I'm not that average I'm all right <laughs> he's just saying he may be shit in the ring he's like I'm all right I've won a couple of matches and like, but I'll make a star out of you kid that was the gimmick like, in the like red how was he meant to get over with that? They're like, don't worry, later we're gonna dress you up as a chicken. <laughs> they didn't even go all the way dressing him up as a chicken. No, I always said he was a wrong trousers chicken. He was just a penguin with a glove on his head. <laughs> oh, so Which yeah, the... didn't suit him as much as Ron Simmons is amazing Jerry Curl in this. Oh, like, yeah, he's looking, he's looking badass on this. Yeah, wasn't he? He was letting his soul glow. Like what the do, what do they call the hair fried, dyed, and laid to the side? Um... <laughs> Yeah, he's, uh... <laughs> he looked badass there. No wonder he was voted PWI's most inspirational wrestler of the year for '92. Like he was a badass. Like, yeah. When did he win the belt? It was Halloween Havoc, wasn't it? When did he beat Vader? God, I'm terrible. I think it is because Vader has to win it off Sting first, which I think's at the Great American oh, Bash. And that match was uh, that match was full on. Yeah, it was. I'll, we'll cover the Great American Bash next because that's some good shit. But Simmons is so on an uphill trajectory at this point. You can just tell. Um, I mean, it's it probably seems like we won't believe it until it happens sort of thing. Because, you know, not because he's a black champion. It's just that they would venture away from people like Sting and Luger. And I know Luger's not there, but like, you know, it always seemed to be the same mainstays for a couple of years. And, Aye. you know, you... you can't. It's just him being new is what would be surprising about it. You, I don't mean he's new. Like, I love Doom and that. I mean, new as a champion, new as a contender. But then again, they built them up really good with those, like the vignettes that Brett and Sean did for Mania 96 are all practically a carbon copy of the stuff Ron was doing this year. Yeah. When they're showing him running up the stairs in the football stadium and all that and getting ready for his championship match. Like, I love that stuff. And the... um. I thought the match was very good as well. Um, I, I don't good, think powerful it, and short. Well, yeah, that's the thing. It didn't really stand out for anything, but I don't think it needed to. It was a good platform to just give Ron Simmons a convincing win over a reasonably, you know, mid cardish name. Taylor um, was Taylor was being used pretty well on the Saturday nights, and like around about this time, he got in a feud with Dustin Rhodes, where it was like he hated that he was so young and he was getting these opportunities and he would bring up all the time that he was Dusty's son. And he's like, I'm going to have you screaming, Daddy, Daddy, come and help me. I regret being in this match and stuff like that. And he was just like, you should be working in a in a burger joint. You're too young to be a wrestler. I'm going to teach you a lesson. Like he was, he was being treated as like a legitimate threat and a featured heel. He used to pop up on like guest commentary and stuff like that. So seeing Ron make pretty easy work of him and then cut a basically say your prayers, eat your vitamins, regardless of your race, be the best kind of speech. Like I I thought it was powerful and it was good that it was Ron that, sorry, it was good that it was Terry who took that match. Well, him and uh, Valentine were, were the US tag team champions or were the world tag team champions? Not at this point because the the Freebirds were the US tag champs, I think, not for long. And then those belts were deactivated not long after as well. Oh, okay. Well, they may have been world tag team champions, but I know they lost those to the Freebirds on an event. Um, oh, but that was like for a week, wasn't it? Oh, right. Okay. Okay. 
But but it just shows you though, like you say, the Taylor made man, Terry Taylor, that you know, it wasn't like he was a complete schlub and being used as a jobber. No, absolutely not. They they recovered him a lot from what he'd been in WWF. Yeah. Um, and I still think it took probably a good while because I mean there were WCW events, especially in the South, because it, it it seemed like a oh look who's come crawling back sort of thing. But also in the smart towns up north, it was just rooster chants and you know mm. like you couldn't fucking escape it uh, for for a good while. Uh, but you, the the thing I noticed about the Ron Simmons promo. Uh, after the after the match, it said because it's Jim Ross doing it, isn't it? Which is like the perfect person to do it. Like instead of like he knows talking. your background and stuff. Yeah, and and I think things sound a bit more authoritative coming from him as well. Um, instead of like Tony or Eric Bischoff doing it, like they have their roles for certain interviews on this, like pre-match interviews, but not the post-match where they can talk about like the finish of the match or the techniques he used in the match and stuff like that. There was like very, like Jim Ross knew what to do as a sports analyst. Made it feel sporty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what I love as well about Ron Simmons talking about, you know, being, you know, he's black, but like, it doesn't mean that you can, you have to be held down and stuff like that. Right behind them, there's this black security guard just staring at him going, yeah. <laughs> just... <laughs> I didn't notice that. That's pretty cool. I did notice in the background. Uh-huh. There's a there's a sign that says Hulk who sting yes. rules. <laughs> I did see that. Yeah, and you know what? Like, I, I mean, I love that, but you never saw WWF fans have probably. I mean, th- those signs were probably taken away to be fair, but you just never saw anything other than like probably handmade signs by WWF handed out to the crowd. I was um, just gonna say that they definitely control what the crowd have. Yeah. for signs but then on top of that like how much do their fan base watch any wrestling that's not WWF and with all the steroid trials how many fans are watching WWF at all in 1992 you know what I mean like, that's, that's that's a bad time for them I've got to say the first sign I ever saw that was like a WCW sign at a WWF event was at Wrestlemania 8 and they uh, it was a massive thing so I think it would have been hard to take away but a four horsemen sign um, oh, sweet! <laughs> for one flag, for one flag came out, and I, I mean, you didn't see it long. So I have a feeling Vince was like, "Yeah, <laughs> they must have had like a camera." I bet you they've got a camera just scouring the crowd for signs. Oh, I wouldn't doubt it. There, there are people whose job it is to like go around giving you t-shirts with a shit wrestler on to cover up your good wrestling t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, moving on. Uh, is there anything between that and the Greg Valentine Marcus Bagwell? No, no, you get straight to the Bagwell Valentine match. The not yet buff enough Bagwell versus Linda Robson, as I like to know it. And Bagwell's still in his floofy blonde haired muscle twink look. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he okay. did look like the stuff then, even if he didn't have it. <laughs> well, he was fresh off his uh because he played the milk tray man basically, uh before that. Was just the handsome stranger and handsome just <laughs> handing out roses. <laughs> He should have handed out milk trays. I think that would have been brilliant. Um, <laughs> I think they thought he was like a sexy Lone Ranger. I don't think that Cadbury's had quite permeated Memphis in 1990. Tell you what, Valentine's music on this is so fucking good. It's the same as Terry's, isn't it? It is. I think it suits Valentine more, though. Because um, just... he struts out and looks like he's going to pray. That's why. That is the most at home and I guess I don't know if comfortable is the right word, but like 
you could just tell that he was probably happy to be in WCW having decent matches again and like yeah. be, and being used quite well as well. Because by 91, I mean, he's he's talked about this when he was jobbing to Earthquake at WrestleMania 7 in a match that was cut. And then, you know... That's um, got to feel like shit. And technically the blow-off match because he'd left Jimmy Hart and he was facing all of... You know, he never really got his matches against Honky. Um, they maybe had a couple on house shows, but like one, their breakup happened on an MSG show, which was only broadcast in the Northeast. And I mean, the clips may have been shown elsewhere, but I really don't think there were. And and it was briefly acknowledged at the Rumble. And yeah, Valentine was just kind of, he had a great match with Haku in the UK, on the UK, just two big lads fucking playing each other for a bit. I was going to say, I imagine that would go well. <laughs> and then besides... You know, uh, SummerSlam against IRS, which was okay. And I think it's just having Valentine at the Garden always means something. And he was at Rumble 92, and he was gone within about a minute. And that was kind of it. And he was gone. Showed up here very shortly after. Very shortly after. And it was during that time of, I mean, they were getting rid of all the Roydy dudes anyway, but Valentine was somewhere in that mix of just maybe they were cutting costs. Maybe he felt like, I don't want to, why should I be here? Just, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. I am Greg Valentine, by the way, you know, just because I yeah. don't have a If anything, him and Terry Taylor are the recovery tag team, aren't they? <laughs> well, that's the thing, Valentine by 92, he, he didn't have a gimmick and it's just like, he actually really did not fit in WWF at that point. Like, what can you do with him as a storyline? Because his gimmick is that he's a wrestler. Pretty much. I mean, you know, it's like Haku. Like, WCW would great at i mean they, they weren't they, certainly not all the time but they did revive a fair few careers like that really did shouldn't have needed reviving like i would have haku on any fucking roster oh i totally meng was over as out in oh. wcw and they did a, they did a very good job of valentine for the short and he wasn't in wcw long either at this point because he ended up actually going back to wwf for a couple of shots um did he well, he was one of the knights at the Survivor Series. Um, <sighs> and he wasn't the one who took over Terry Funk, who was looking after his sick horse. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, he, but he was under a mask, which is mental. It's like, surely the point is take the mask off and reveal it's Greg Valentine, you know, whatever. Um, I think that may have been why Funk didn't want to do it, because I think that was the original plan. And um, Funk was like, I'm not being seen wearing a red court jester's outfit <laughs> um don't fucking blame him he was sick of the travel as well <laughs> i can imagine and uh and then valentine was in rumble 94 and then i guess he was just on the indies until wcw at that point and i get the feeling that when he went to wcw he was also wrestling indies i, I can't imagine it was a full-time deal by 96 and 97 because um, they didn't really acknowledge any of his history and the fact that he was like this huge star. But in 92, they used him very well. And this match against Bagwell is it's a decent match, I've got to say. And you can see Bagwell's like trying out his fundamentals. It's a match of body slams and hip tosses and arm drags. But they're still, they protected Bagwell, I thought, you know, by having him hurt his leg and he's carrying on. He's working on the injured leg until he eventually has to tap to the figure four. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought, that made him look good because he was a young and against an old pro who kept working on an injury until the injury was the thing that let him down. So I didn't think he looked weak from losing there. No, but he no. did lose a fucking lot in the Bill Watts time. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. Like you say, not exactly Bill Watts' uh, 
cup of tea potentially. Um, and you know, realistically, if you've got the the true underdog who has none much experience against someone like Greg Valentine and WCW, because of the NWA connection, knew how to exploit his history better than WWF because WWF can only go back to 84. And don't get us wrong, he still had the Intercontinental and Tag Team titles, but by 91, they weren't even mentioning that, that he was one of the more decorated like wrestlers on the roster at that point. Um, so WCW, like say, there's no way if it was real that Bagwell should have been Valentine by that point anyway. And Valentine, no, and that was, it was classic Valentine. It was, it was the epitome of no frills, but everything he did looked Fucking realistic, and you know, work a body part until you win from it. And and I, and I just can't get over how well the music suited him. <laughs> like it really did. <laughs> the Snyder the Tiger. Snyder <laughs> <Snide> the Tiger. <laughs> so then, after that is where the show starts to heat up for me, and this was one of my favorite matches when I was a kid. It's Cactus Jack versus Sting in a Falls Count Anywhere, or they called it Falls Count Anywhere on the Gulf Coast, which makes it sound like they're going to go for miles and miles and miles. It's a bit of a fucking misnomer since they don't even leave the building. <laughs> Got to oversell it, you know. <laughs> I genuinely thought they were going to go outside because, and they even kind of lead you in at the start of this match. There's a video package from Clash of the Champions 17 and 91. Mm-hmm. And it's that one from, you know, when Van Hammer is having a Falls Count Anywhere match for Cactus Jack. And they end up outside and like a, it's like, you know, where you've got all this sandy bit and I'd like rodeo, a rodeo barn. It looks like I can't even remember where it was, but I know there's definitely a barn with sand, sand everywhere around it. And uh, Abdullah the Butcher comes out of nowhere with a big shite shovel and <laughs> slams Van Hammer on the heat with it. And that lets Jack pin him for the false count anywhere. But seeing him get pinned in the sand after getting shoveled at the start of this makes you think, oh, what's going to happen? They could go anywhere and they fucking don't. <laughs> But it certainly doesn't uh, it doesn't affect the match at all. Um, no, the match itself's great. Yeah, um, and and it, it you know Mick Foley holds it in such high regard that he put it on his early compilation DVD that came out years ago now, and even did all in the commentary for it. Um, and uh, it I is mean, a masterpiece. It is a masterpiece, but he's just like, and it's a non-title match on a pay per view, so that's a selling point. <laughs> It is weird, that, isn't it? I, I, I thought you could have put that on. The, on. the only reason I thought maybe they didn't make it a title match is that people might think, well, there's not a fucking chance Cactus Jack's about to win the World Championship off Sting. Well, and I mean, then not, not making the belt involved makes you think Jack could win. <laughs> but given that he doesn't anyway, I guess that's kind of <laughs> <laughs> Made it non-title and be lost. Well, you've seen a lot more WCWs, like, certainly from 92 than I have. And how credible is Cactus Jack upon his return in 92 as a, as a contender for the world title? As a contender for the world title, I guess not really, but as like a scary thing. Yes. You know mm. what I mean? Doesn't it not make you think though, that they could have put him in a match with anyone else? <laughs> That's true. That's true. There's, it, there, there's this era of WCW was fraught with creative, questionable decisions. <laughs> or should I say questionable creative decisions? Uh, <laughs> um, and the thing is, um, because as I, as I said earlier, I, I got Beach Blast 93 on tape at the time, and I don't think I got 92 until like a long time later. I just always assumed that this would have been the last match on the card. Like the card placement's like all over the shop for me it's on this. ridiculous, the card placement on this. It's like not just this match, but like I would think, especially since it was on the poster, 
that the Iron Man match between Ricky Steamboat <laughs> and Rick Rude would main event it. No, no, that's not the main event either. It's like the match that we're selling the event on, and it's not the main event. The mind boggles. So you've got to wonder if it was originally if Bill Watts came in and was like, well, I'm going to change that because yes. <laughs> well, he was known for that kind of thing, that he would take a, you know, in, in his small WWF run as well, he would uh, re-edit a show. And sometimes for the better, but sometimes it would leave you scratching your head. Um, <laughs> but obviously you can't re-edit a live pay-per-view. But I, I do love the poster, by the way, because and we'll talk about that. I've uh, got that as a fridge magnet, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, we'll talk about the poster for uh, before the Ricky Steamboat-Rick Rude match. But uh, it's like Cactus Jack is amazing here. Like I, I love the He character. is incredible. He, he scared me as a kid. Like, he knew how to... Like, it, it, there are shades of what would become, like, early mankind, but, like, because you can see his face more clearly, I think it just it's makes It's a lot it, more frightening. I think so. Yeah, you can... He's also more more unscripted. Not that he's scripted as mankind, but because the parameters of what you can do are all over the shop, mm-hmm. he feels more unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Well, even down to the, the uh, sort of soft, melodic music that he's coming to the ring with, it just really... It clashes, but like in a good way, like sort of it, like just put you on edge, sort of thing. That you think at some point he's just going to completely just go off his nut. And doesn't um, it feel weird to hear someone else with the funeral march after it's become so closely linked with the Undertaker, though? Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, it is weird. Um, and and the thing is, with Cactus on this event, I it doesn't feel like he's necessarily getting booed or getting a lot of heat on him. I think people are like. I think they like him, you know what I mean? Because he's so yeah. interesting. Um, but he was popular when he was tagging with Max Payne as well. Yeah, yeah. And and uh those are some vastly underrated matches as well. Um, Neither are. Um you should have seen some of the build up to this. Jack was doing some good stuff on the Saturday nights. This wasn't was like yeah, this wasn't the Alzheimer's stuff, was it? <laughs> oh, it's after Vader power right. bombs him on the concrete. Okay. Lost in Cleveland, all that shit. <laughs> That's actually in Bischoff's tenure, that. But um, no, he's Sting's got like a rib injury, and Sting keeps doing the traditional Sting type promos where you've got like the background and all that, and he's just cutting babyface stuff that's all get you fired up and that. But Jack's just giving these promos about being mental, and he comes out on a Saturday night at the studio, and he's got like this big wooden crate on the floor, and he's just talking about how like he's not afraid to destroy himself to destroy Sting and that. And he's like, just imagine this is your ribs. And he just dives and smashes the box with his face. <laughs> just like proper headbutts through it. I don't know if it's meant to be an elbow drop or something, but Foley just launches himself into it and kills the box in the commentary. He's like, Jesus, don't do that to Sting's ribs. Oh, I, As well, with those elbow drops, he said years later that he regretted doing them because he had so many hairline fractures in his elbow. that You'd have to land on the concrete like that. Yeah, well, that's the thing as well with Bill Watts. I mean, just... I don't have mats because mats are for pussies. Oh, behave. Mats are for pussies. But, it, it, I mean, depending on, like, some of the old school names that you, you hear as well, mats were kind of dangerous because you would slip you on slip them. On that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would agree with that side of it, but you never know with Watts how much is just tough guy presentation because he would say, like, if you're a real athlete, then you don't need them, like... You can just fall on concrete. It's like, not really. It's not a measure of how athletic you are, but there are not concrete fucking hurts. That's just stupid. And by the you way, I'm taking 100 grand off your salary. <laughs> I can understand why he wasn't liked. 
Do you know what's funny? What you just mentioned about him cutting the salaries, just to go back to Bill Watts for a minute. Uh, so he tried to bring in that old school rule about heels and faces not traveling together. Yeah. Which is fairly antiquated by 1992 anyway. But he wouldn't even let heels and faces be on the same flight as each other. <laughs> so like they would book separate flights. But the reason he gave wasn't even kayfabe. Like it sounds like he was kayfabe in the reason, but he was like, oh, well, what if the plane goes down and all of our wrestlers are in the same place and there's no one to fill out the card? Good Lord. That's just fucking stupid. Like the chances of a plane crashing are pretty, pretty low, especially when it's not like they're using little dodgy private jets anymore. They're like, on like proper domestic flights. They're going to have to book two sets of tickets and that. And what if the flight gets cancelled? It's it's going to end up more expensive. You're like cutting people's salaries and then wasting money. They give that reason. What if the plane goes down and everyone dies? Okay. What if the heel plane goes down? And there's just a show of baby faces. Pretty sure you'll cancel the show because people all fucking died anyway. <laughs> it's just such a negative baseline mindset. It's like your mother saying like, wear socks without holes in them in case a train runs you over. Like, you know, and you get taken to hospital. It's just like, fuck me. Like, I'm with a clean pair of knickers on in case you get hit by a bus. I mean, they wouldn't be clean after you got hit by the bus. Like, to be No, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't. Like. <laughs> oh, but I mean, do you think he had the same rules for Eric as well? Do you think he was uh, as strict with him? Uh, uh, for anyone listening there, they're wondering if there's extra rules for Bischoff. He means Eric Ross. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I imagine, to be fair to Eric Watts, he probably had some extra terrible rules because he got the Dustin treatment, didn't he? Where you just Ugh. get pushed to the moon by your dad and it hurts, except yeah. he wasn't as good as Dustin either. Oh, uh, yeah. Anyway, so Sting Cactus. Yeah, to, to get back on track, not just that Bill Watts was a maniac. <laughs> um, this, I thought, seems even more like of a frenetic opening. You know, when... Cactus comes under the ropes to just fight Sting on the ramp. And also, this is the last pay-per-view with that ramp on, which I love that ramp. But um, he runs to meet Sting and, like, fight him on there, and they just stop brawling, and the crowd actually, like, absolutely kick off. And I think it's because they've just seen that fairly pedestrian workman, like, Bagwell-Valentine match. Mm. And suddenly you've got this psycho just running up and Sting, you know, and he's baiting him and calling him. It's just such a good image, isn't it? It is. And it, yeah, I didn't realize that that was the last pay per view of the ramp as well. I'm pretty sure it's gone by Great American Bash like a month later. Oh, pretty why, sure. Why would you get Because the thing is, though. Probably because no. it's a Bill Watts, Bill Watts, too. And what? This was here already? Nope. Let's yeah, save money yeah. by selling a ramp. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it, it makes it, you can see it more. So no wonder the crowd were into it. The fact that it's on a ramp and it's not just on the floor somewhere where half the crowd can't see it or whatever. Because it wasn't like that. That's my problem with brawls. Sorry yeah. to interrupt you. Yeah, I hate how in brawls, like it's great on TV, but most of the fucking crowd can't see it. So as you say, <laughs> up on a ramp elevated, it's mint. Mm. And the spotlights on them. Well, that's the thing. It just makes the entrances look more important as well. Um, you know, it, it, it's kind of a weird just a maybe even a psychological thing that okay your opponent's in the ring but if you're walking to the ring you are kind of lower than him especially if you're the champion like no. it, it should be on the right you know what i mean just little things like that um but yeah no the the uh having cactus come out and uh, fight on the ramp i besides maybe uh and I, I mean, there's probably more examples of this, but it reminded me of the uh, Starcade 90 tag title match with the Horsemen against Doom, uh, where they just didn't wait for it to start. And it was actually very yeah. WCW-like at that point, because largely, besides the ding-dongs, etc., they 
presented matches as traditional wrestling matches. And if they did have a brawl, they, it, it emphasized the brawl and the no holds barred a lot more because it really didn't happen that much. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And that's why when they would do special events, like having the no holds barred stipulation added to them, even things you know, like a bunkhouse stampede match and stuff like that, you know, people are all going to really go for it and absolutely cut each other up and make each other bleed because, as you say, you've been seeing a more traditional like NWA wrestling presentation up to that point. Mm-hmm. And um, WWF did not do gimmick matches back then, rarely on pay-per-view. They saved them for the house shows. And the fact that WCW is putting it on a pay-per-view, there's nothing that they WWF could have done in that style that would have even come close to this Sting and Cactus Jack match. Yeah, I, would, I was going to ask you, actually, if WWE were doing anything as violent as that in 92. Oh, certainly not in 92. They would save, like I say, just stuff for God matches, like rematches and stuff like that. But, uh, mm. I mean, their gimmick, their nightstick match, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. Or if they did do a no-holds-barred match, you would barely realise it was no-holds-barred. LOD against Nasties or some 91 was no-holds-barred, but it was certainly no Nasties against the Steiner brothers at Halloween Havoc 90 and stuff yeah. like that. And it's just, and yeah. I don't think that was even no-holds-barred, but you would have felt felt like it was more no-holds-barred just because of yeah. the fact that they were just brain each other. <laughs> um, but yeah, Sting and Cat, I mean, one thing about Cactus Jack and Mick Foley is he knows how to use the arena like creatively oh, definitely i was gonna say it's so ahead of its time like the stuff on the concrete you know there's like swinging net breakers belly to belly suplexes vertical suplexes going over the railings into the crowd and sting gets in on a lot takes some nasty bumps on the concrete than that he's well up for it in this yeah oh it, it's amazing and and it, like you say it really does uh it does wake the crowd up as well and uh you can tell Jim Ross is loving it and Jesse Ventura is probably getting into it. I don't think he's seen like a proper fight <laughs> being with no. like, in the competition <laughs> for a few years for like a good long while. Um, <laughs> Do you see when Cactus gets backdropped over the railings into the crowd onto the concrete? Oh, that just looks so nasty. He just sails over with no regard for himself. It's ridiculous. I don't know how he realizes or how i mean it's it's just crazy wrestling general to me because obviously not a wrestler by any means like how wrestlers realize they can take certain bumps like there's this one i've seen him do it wasn't his from jumping off a fucking roof well that's true but there's like certain bumping styles that i mean like where sting whips cactus over the barricades back into the arena and he does that kind of like spin over the yeah yeah. Um, there's a one. Did you see the one where Paul Orndorff did it to Cactus, and he spun over two barricades that were like um, <laughs> adjacent to each other? <laughs> that's incredible. And like, that's the thing. He took more stuntman bumps than wrestling bumps, really. And and I'm not saying that's that, why Ric Flair hated him, wasn't it? Well, I'm not saying that in a negative way because you could. No, I know you're not. Jerry Lawler. I, took I like stuntman, that. Yeah, Jerry Lawler took stuntman bumps, and Terry Funk. He didn't bump like a wrestler. He bumped. Really, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, but it somehow had the the body to absorb that kind of punishment. But yeah, um, do you see the sunset flipping of the railings as well? It just looks so nasty. Yeah, it, he it, jumps off the apron, flips over Sting, and just crashes into those railings. This match takes so much out of you in a positive way that it seems insane that there's like two thirty minute draws to come. <laughs> Oh, you know, oh, what was he playing out with this? You did, you know, you mentioned Jesse Ventura before uh, and about how excited he is with it. He does a quite good thing as well, which is probably combating people like Ric Flair. 
because he points out Cactus can actually wrestle really properly. Yeah. He said this like this just is a brawl and he's brawling this well, but Cactus is like a, a proper wrestler. And then did you notice they give the match like a little breather like that when they head in the ring and they wrestle for a while before going back outside to brawl again, where it's like wrestling happens in the ring, mental shit happens outside. Yeah, no, it, it does. It's good to have stuff like that to, I mean, as much as anything, give give it probably a bit of a break to the wrestlers as well. But for the crowd, you have to have dynamics. You can't just be a million miles an hour all the time. You have to let them settle down and then build back up to the next, um, the next climax kind of thing. Because um, otherwise, your crowd gets desensitized, don't they? Yeah, and and oh, absolutely. Um, and I mean, this is definitely the the match to pick up the crowd. I mean, not that the crowd during any of the other matches are even that dead to be honest they like i thought they would have shot on the final match just because so much had happened but when you've got such talented such name value though isn't it such name value such talent and the fact that the legit just brain each other as well you know there's it makes it unpredictable as well you know after five minutes of hogan he's going to kick out and hold up um <laughs> You know, ah, you know, I, I, that's one of the things I can't get away with that style. It's like it's not that the match is bad; it's just I know what's going to fucking happen, mm. like every time. Yeah. Um, so uh, Sting beats Cactus Jack here in eleven. Oh, and minutes. how good is Cactus is screaming? You know, after they're on the ramp and that, after it's finished, and he's just lying there going, <laughs> so good. <laughs> I felt like that this match, in, in a positive way, was longer than it was just because they fit so much in, but it, it just. I mean, I don't know where this ranked in like match of the year lists and stuff like that, but it had to be way high up there. And and that's why it always seemed mental, probably at the time that Cactus left WCW not that long after this. Um, like yeah. he, he chose to leave, but I think he knew that he, there was a glass ceiling. If you're not going to win a non-title match against Sting, I guess you know, there's not much left they can really do yet. And I don't know really, apart from the stuff with Vader, what they did after. Sting in WCW with Cactus? Um, I would have to go back and look, to be honest, because I can't remember, but he also doesn't seem like a very Watts-style wrestler, does he? What? In some ways he does, though, because like, it's it's one of those um, one of those quotes that, like, you know, maybe I can't make you believe wrestling's real, but I can make you believe I'm real. Like, that's like a terrible Yeah, thing, you might think, has this match turned real? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, I, I guess as well, and then, you know, I, I'm, I am just speculating here that, you know, Cactus is prepared to kill himself. And yeah, I'm sure he's getting paid decently for it, but I'm sure Watts probably, again, wants to cut contracts and stuff like that. And is like saying, look, you're not actually, you know, drawing the money that you're making and, you know, you're basically not worth the money that's being paid for you from from WCW. I'd, I'd imagine that that would be the type of if it can happen with Pillman, I'm sure it could happen with Curtis Jack. Otherwise, I think they would have made him champion. But uh, yeah, so um, I'll, I'll let you carry on. Well, what I was going to say is, I know when you were saying where did that match rank as match of the year, I'm not sure about that, but I know it contributed to Sting being the PWI most popular wrestler of the year because that was one of the things that referenced this match and this feud. No, oh, really? Apart from obviously with Vader, yeah. That's the thing. You know, I was going to say I, I don't remember much of Sting from '92, but if you just include the matches against Sting and uh, sorry against Vader and Cactus, I mean that's a pretty fucking hefty '1992 for anyone, I think, isn't it? That Sting and Vader <laughs> feud there is that is what got me into wrestling. <laughs> Literally that feud. So it's just so good. 
Yeah. After this match, did you notice how much Shivani really looks like he's basically ready for drag? He's still in his normal clothes. He just hasn't <laughs> put the dress on. Because him and him and Bischoff come out and they're like breaking down what we've just seen and what matches to come. And I cannot stop looking at how terrifyingly thick the makeup is on Tony Shivani's face. <laughs> Yeah, he went through a period of that, didn't he? His eyebrows looked really uh, bushy as well. and um, <laughs> It's just mental. Well, <laughs> His blonde hair and that. When I, I got, uh, oh God, Capital Combat 90. Yeah, I mean, one of the first videos I ever got. And I had seen him at like, SummerSlam 89 the year before, where he's chubby and he just looks like Tony Schiavone from like the NWA. Then it, did, it really does not look like Tony Schiavone. And I had like a hard time because it'd been a while since I saw it. Like, actually, we, I was telling my friends, it is actually Tony Giovanni. And they're like, no. <laughs> no, it's um, not. <laughs> but, um, and, and having hosts like that who can analyze and break down stuff like that and can be heard by the audience, for me, it really keeps the crowd engaged. Instead of yeah, like, I don't know why like, more people don't do that. I totally yeah. agree well, with you. Well, every other sport does it. Like, it's, it, it's crazy. I mean, and WCW did that well before Watts came in. As well, oh, it was such a it, it's a good dynamic to have something like that, just to settle the crowd down as well, and just to let them digest what they've just seen instead of like, here's a false count anywhere. No, not in my match, you know. Like, yeah, that was just too much. That it can you think of much. the weird placement. <laughs> it it can be too much, and it can also it can kill the crowd, as we've seen on various pay per views where a match that should be amazing just dies completely because um, the crowd are fatigued. Mm-hmm. And even if they get to see the uh, the interviews beforehand, or have or see uh, promo videos stuff like that, because I mean they didn't really do promo videos back then. Having two people in the in the arena to narrate it and be like the sort of I don't know, just like well, I guess the narrators just to you know be on your side as part of the audience and to maybe explain some things if the crowd don't understand why a finish happened, like those... Ter- don't have context. Yeah. Well, yeah, the terrible German suplex finishes that we've talked about on previous pay-per-views. Oh, um, you know, so that's what I think about that. And, uh, you know, I'm glad you kind of on the same wavelength with me on that. Oh, definitely. You've got... Because, like, the match that comes after, the Rick Rude versus Ricky Steamboat Ironman Challenge. Yeah. It is a masterpiece, but it would be difficult to just stay up emotionally after that street fight, knowing that you've got a half an hour, really dramatic. Like this is like a match from a film mm-hmm. and it's just, it's so over the top. Like it would be difficult to stay at that level for the rest of it. And even then that hurts the other matches being on afterwards. Cause they feel a bit irrelevant. Yeah. The, uh, and, and the Rick Rude, Ricky Steamboat match, I would say, I mean, I, you, I, you've seen again, more Saturday nights than I have from this time period, probably the best built up match of the yeah. card. Definitely. It was the focus of a lot of the story. The story was, it was twofold. There was this with like Rick Rude and Ricky Steamboat and they're making accusations about Steamboat and about him being a pervert and a stalker and a creep on Medusa and all that. Mm. But um, it was also of the Dangerous Alliance falling apart. You know, like you got Larry Zabisco kicked out because of what happened in the Wrestle War a few months prior right. where they lost it, you know, where the, the turnbuckle post gets loosened to use as a weapon. But mm-hmm. then it ends up getting used on Bobby Eaton and Bobby Eaton gets put in the submission hole at the tap. So like Zabisco gets the blame for that and gets thrown out and there's a lot of tension in the Dangerous Alliance. So uh, that was the main focus of everything. So um, what specifically led to this being an Ironman match from what you know? Like, did they have matches beforehand? Because this seems like it should be a blow-off match. 
they did have matches beforehand, but to be honest, I can't actually remember why the Iron Man stipulations there. But I don't know if it's because it was maybe told on more than just Saturday night, and it's like a long time ago, and you can't get the rest of that stuff on the network now. Some of the storytelling could be quite lax at that point, like especially after this, you end up with a lot less story. Like one of the things that hurts the next pay per view after is the lack of story to anything. So it's like what makes the crowd care. But um. The thing that struck me weird about this is like with the world title match, this is like the US title match and Steamboat wants the title belt back. And this is to prove who the true better man is. And then the belt's not on the fucking line. <laughs> I did forget that. <laughs> it only occurred to me afterwards because they don't mention it. And I was like, right, wait, what the fuck? Steamboat's won. Why doesn't he have the belt? Yeah. You know, when he's doing the post-match interview and that's when it occurred was Jesus. They didn't put that belt on the line either. What are they playing at? How clear did they make that to the audience i'm guessing not that clear because i've seen title matches in wf oh sorry non-title matches where they they very much brushed over the fact that's non-title match just to get the face reaction when he beats the heel champion um, i think they did the same here uh... I, I don't remember it being <laughs> mentioned and like there was so little mentioned when i was sitting like i've watched this more than once recently i watched it once for the show but like it's one of the band's favorite events from back then and me and him watched it, and it didn't even occur then, so they must brush over it. Yeah, it was, like you say, it wasn't until after the match uh, where they made it more clearly, and I was just like, oh, all right, okay. Um, and, yeah, it, it, it is mental. That's why I'm, that's partly as well why I was thinking, it, was this a blow-off match? Because you would have thought, like, title matches would have been the blow-off. Uh, because why would this be an Ironman match if there's no stipulation or no title on the line or anything like that? It just seems crazy. I think the idea, if I'm remembering it right, was that this would show that Steamboat was good enough to have a US championship match against Rude. And this was kind of revenge for the stuff that was being said about Steamboat and about his wife. But then, obviously, after the match, you get Cactus Jack attacking Steamboat because he's like the hired assassin by the Dangerous Alliance. And Rick Rude ends up in a feud with Nikita Koloff, if I remember it right. Because there's a fucking hilarious <laughs> segment. So, like they're in they're in the ring on a Saturday night, and Medusa's like traumatized, and she's like cuddling into Rick Rude because there's been a a run in with Nikita on a previous show, uh-huh. and Rude's cutting a promo, and he's got nuclear heat just like he does on this event. Like Rude was the PWI most hated wrestler of the year that year, and you can tell by the way <laughs> the crowd respond. But um, he's cutting this promo about how Nikita's not a real man, and how could he? dare threaten his woman and all that. And he's calling him out. And Nikita comes out and gets in the ring. And Medusa stood in front of Rick Rude. And Nikita just grabs her by the hair and fucking throws her all the way to the other side <laughs> of the ring in the corner. And Jesse Ventura's like, what the hell? And he's like proper kicking off on commentary. And Shivani goes like, oh, well, you know, he is from a different culture. And Ventura's like, a culture where you can brutalize women? What is this? It's such a mad segment. Ventura used to lose his mind when Hogan would give a comedy atomic drop to Sherry. So I can't imagine what he was like when he did a rag to poor wife. He looked like some proper domestic violence shit. And Ventura lost his mind. <laughs> oh, that, that screams a Bill Watts thing. Like violence against oh, women. I think he's absolutely fine in Bill Watts' wrestling show. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, because you've made Steamboat any less cool here, though. 
You know, you've, you've had Rick Rude come out and do his great heel promo and the roof nearly comes off with how much they hate him. And thank God the music isn't overdubbed. He just has his knockoff Janet Jackson music. And then Steamboat comes out with like, that music's so badass. And it's like something you'd hear at the start of like a real sporting event. Like you expect the teams to be coming out. And then he comes out with his burn and waving with his wife and that while they're all in the same ninja dress. Oh, and you're like, what are you doing? Honestly, since... He he came out with his wife on WWF shows as well, but she was never involved in storylines. Jake's wife was. I think she was just more up for. She was. I saw that I, story with him and Rude. Let's class that. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. And but it it couldn't have. She was like the sable to Mark Merrow's career. Um, that she was. <laughs> to Rick, Bonnie, to, wasn't she? Bonnie Steamboat. Yeah, and and but coming out with the kids <laughs> sounds like a song from up here. <laughs> oh, she's Bonnie Steamboat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's not just coming out with her though. Who, I mean, she does nothing. She leaves ringside, just carries the baby, brings the fucking. <laughs> well, he walks along with the ninja twin. Oh, <laughs> it's little Ben in the same God. same gown thing as him. It's, it's what just the fuck are they doing? It's just yeah. Uh, no wonder people love Flair during the Flair Steamboat feud. I mean, Steamboat might have got great reactions when he won or whatever, but I think the like certainly the smart crowds, although they absolutely respect Steamboat. How can you not love Ric Flair compared to... That's yeah, wish fulfillment, isn't it? You want to be Ric Flair. Yeah. You look at Ricky Steamboat doing that and you think, well, I'm glad I'm not doing that. <laughs> and he always like sort of smiled under like gritted teeth when he was coming out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, doing his wave like, ah, just fucking kill me now. All in matching <laughs> costumes and that. Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> if Bonnie would have went with Rude though, I think that would have been fantastic. Like. Wouldn't it? <laughs> Would it upset the whole Medusa Found story out that the though? kid's like Rude's kid as well. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> well, the thing is, I mean, that kid was born in, oh God, I want to say 88. And Rude and Steamboat had a match at the first Royal Rumble. And it's nowhere near the quality of their WCW stuff. Not that they weren't capable. But it just shows it's you... It's probably the, what you're allowed as well, isn't it? It shows you the restrictions. like, And well, maybe not... A, just allowed, but maybe the fact that you could just get away with doing less and you know, pose to the audience mm. be more fine and stuff True. like that. But uh yeah, this I mean by far the best match that I've seen them have together, and that includes like a couple of house shows and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, this is stuff. like one of my favorite childhood matches. This you <laughs> see how excited the grannies are in the front row that I seem to be <laughs> in good company as well. Like yeah, you, you know, when you're saying about doing the poses, how great is it where like Rude's getting his ribs targeted straight away. And like you know the story is going to be Rude's ribs from the beginning. And like he's getting that really high-angle Boston Crab that's practically a lion tamer and what have you. And like Steamboat is just tearing Rude's ribs out. But um, he goes to do the like pose, you know, the hands behind his head, like wiggle his ass at the crowd type thing. Yeah. And he's like, oh, oh, and his ribs are too hurt. And Jesse Ventura's like, what a brave, gutsy move trying to give those women the thrill of their life when he's so badly injured. Ventura was at his best commentating on rude matches. Like, I've never seen him stick up for anyone like he stuck up for Rick Rude because of the... Kindred bo- spirits, weren't they? <laughs> but, oh, yeah, no, Rude, like, oh, Ventura, Rude would do that in WWF as well. And he'd be like, imagine all the broken hearts of the women across the country and he, like <laughs> he's got that like politician newsreader's voice as well where you can put like <laughs> emphasis and like, you just really build up the sort of this you know uh sympathy that we're meant to have for this absolute dickhead <laughs> oh brilliant like rude and ventura like as a team would have been something else 
or, but, or Ventura. But, but apart from you need you'd need a third man to rein that in. You've got to have a like Mike Tanay type guy in that scenario. Otherwise, it's just these two guys being dicks the entire time. It'd be like if we were a commentary team. Yeah, yeah no, fair enough. Um, so, so uh, it goes the full thirty minutes, and uh, Ricky Steamboat, as you mentioned, does defeat Rick Rude in a, a very close four-three. Um, uh, win. So with Iron Man matches, do you where do you stand on those with regards to pinfalls and decisions? Do, do you feel like this is to... the way I want it to be? Yeah, this feels like a match in a sporting context. Mm-hmm. Like you, you've got the traditional wrestling heat. You know, there's a bit where Rude's down and he's injured, and uh, they're talking about the accusations about Steamboat's family that Rude and Heyman had been making, and Steamboat's like begging Rude to get up and take more of a beating while he's kicking him in the ribs and that, and it looks great. You've got, like, the wrestling heat there, but then you've got the sports drama for them trading points and pins. Yeah, and like you say, the crowd are just eating this up completely, and potentially, um, you know, Rude and uh, Steamboat probably had an uphill, uh, you know, battle to potentially get the crowd invested because, again, just because of where they were placed in the card. Like yeah, it, definitely. It, it seems it just seems insane after the Sting Cactus match to have uh, a thirty-minute Iron Man match. Maybe if it if the if Iron it Man wasn't match like was this the last match, then maybe have it as the last match. But like, um, yeah, I think I think if you're expecting like the Shawn Michaels Bret Hart type Iron Man match, that would have fell so flat on its arse here. Yeah, but after you've had that kind of crazy hardcore crash style wrestling that's gone on just before than having a match where in, there's so much sports tactics used to build drama. So, you know, like Ventura brilliantly on the commentary compares it to playing hockey on the break. So like for the first like 10 minutes, 15 minutes or whatever, Ricky Steamboat's just beating the fuck out of Rude and injuring him. And then out of nowhere, Rude manages to get the first pin. He like Rude awakening him or something. He does like a big move and pins him. It's one nil and the crowd are like, whoa, because they've all just got so hot for Steamboat. And then Steamboat, no, no, it's just a roll-up, isn't it? But then he gets hit with a rude awakening shortly after and it goes to 2-0 and you just think, oh, God, what are we seeing here? Mm. And they build the drama so well. You know, like when Rude comes off the top rope? Yeah. So he jumps off and lands the knee and gets disqualified. And it's like, oh, it's 2-1. Is the drama there? Nope, you can just pin him now and it's 3-1. And it's like, I'll take the hit (laughs) so that I can damage you more so that you then are just further behind and I keep the same distance in the score. So, oh, this is one of my favorite things. And like, this is the stuff that m- is missing from a long nil-nil Iron Man for me. It, it, it is masterful. That's why for for a good while, um, the I always preferred the Triple H Rock Iron Man at Judgment Day over the Bret Hart Shawn Michaels because it was heel against face and Triple H would... I think they watched potentially this rude steamboat. I think they did. The chair spot. Is that yeah. what you're thinking? It's the same as the off-the-top rope one, isn't it? I'll take a, def- a fall if I can wham you with this, because then I know I'm going to get more falls because you're fucked. Yeah. And and it really is one of those, like almost like a sort of a, like an end of the world type of film where you really don't know how someone's going to make a comeback at this point. Oh, and how hot are the crowd yeah. for the actual comeback? You know, you get like Steamboat does that really slow climb when he's going to get tombstoned mm-hmm. and he like goes up rude, like he's a ladder before he goes over which is just amazing because like usually people reverse it in one smooth motion like gymnastics and it it looks like they're cooperating but like ricky climbs up so slowly and it's so hard and drops over it looks like a struggle and it makes it feel more like a real match 
so they can then hit the tombstone. And like when they do get the three all off that backslide, he does the crowd absolutely come unglued to <laughs> what they're seeing because who doesn't love a big comeback in sport? Yeah, it's just it's so simple. And the thing is, as well, though, Steamboat and Rude are more than capable of having the smoothest looking match you ever have seen in your life, effortless, but they know enough to not make it smooth like that. Yeah, you know, um, 100%. Like, I think with regards to, you know, them in the 80s, uh, and, and Rude more in the 90s, because you could see the gradual improvement with Rude, where Steamboat always seemed mint, to be honest. Like, um, yeah. if you look at like Rude and Florida, you always had the personality, but the wrestling wasn't quite there. And I mean, I've, I've, a big test for him was having to carry the fucking warrior <laughs> through like some of the Warriors' best <laughs> matches. Um, I was going to say they're like, the best matches he had in WWF. Oh, I agree. Rude. I agree. Um, and, you know, it, it could be said that when you've got like, say, Steamboat against Flair or Rude against someone you know, as athletic as well, that they are about as smooth as you can possibly get without them just being unrealistic looking. Um, but... And they built the crescendo at the end so well. Yeah. Like in those last few minutes, you get some really great like drama creating moments. There's one that's quite funny is when they do the superplex off the top. And it's still one of those like old Southern bumping canvases and Randy Anderson goes into orbit. When <laughs> he absolutely flies up. Salmon, salmon Randy Anderson. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely. But there's like such great visuals, you know, like they go for the sleeper hold near the end and the sweat's absolutely cascading off steamboat and it adds to the drama. And then he like escapes and ends up taking the lead with 30 seconds to go. And the crowd are so insane at this point. And JR is just masterful on commentary at absolutely screaming the place down like you're seeing some ultimate final, like you said, end of the world type match while Rude's proper frantic trying to get the pinfalls, which is mad when you think there's no belt on the line. It's just how much they hate each other that they don't <laughs> want to lose. And it always seems to me um, that the summer is the perfect time. And, and, and this might seem like a shite metaphor, but like it, it's an epic summer blockbuster that you, I don't think you you could get away with doing it in November or something like that. It just... Oh, I agree. That's not know, a shite metaphor at all. It's um, amazing. You know, it, it's just... I guess the summer for... I mean, I know Starcade is kind of like their real, like, feud-ender pay-per-view sort of thing, but it it does seem like the summer is also a thing to... Like, a time to blow off feuds as well. Um, but they definitely make it the blockbuster thing that you were saying. Look at when it becomes Bash at the Beach. There's always some fucking huge marquee event, usually with outsiders involved. I don't mean literally the outsiders. I mean, like, <laughs> people from other industries and that. And it's always going for that blockbuster vibe that you just said. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. So uh, what better to follow this with than the, <laughs> the best best of three falls, second fall of the bikini contest? I guess you need some bullshit to calm the audience down. So caught out Johnny B. Bad looking like evil Knievel being Siegfried and Roy, but I'm fucking hell. <laughs> After you've just seen all that. I, I, I don't want to dwell too long on the bikini contest because no, it no. is a load of shit. But like, I don't know. I, I really like Medusa's Harley jacket. You know, she had like oh, that satin she's looking, jacket. She's looking hot here. Gotta say. She is. Yeah. And Missy's body. Good God. I don't even just mean that in a drooling way. Like a physique is impressive. Yeah. It's just yeah. weird when they say that there's going to be another round after saying it's going to be a itsy bitsy teeny weeny bikini round, and I'm like, how do you wear a smaller bikini than the one Missy Hyatt's got on now? Like, <laughs> well, this was meant to be swimsuits, wasn't it? But um... which 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 Medusa's in? Medusa's got a swimsuit and she looks great, but then 
Missy Hyatt just comes out in like the tiniest bikini ever and just makes you lose your mind. <laughs> yeah, Ventura's loving it as well. Um, Jim Ross, like, I, I, I wish they would just let him, like, I wish Jim Ross could just say entirely what was on his mind. That, he, <laughs> he does a good line here, didn't he, though? Oh, um, as I brought this up to you as well, he's just like, oh, there's a couple, <laughs> couple of things about Missy that I love, but I just can't put my hands on them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Such a great line, that. <laughs> and the thing is, though, because it's the face. Like, you, you would never get that in WWF, the straight-laced face announcer saying it. But... <laughs> The I mean, heel... he, has, he has a pulse. Like, why wouldn't <laughs> no, he feel true. like that? You know but what I mean? The heel can't put it over. So he just <laughs> ignores it. But that makes it more funny to me that it just gets complete. This golden line gets completely ignored. I would love to think that Jim Ross, like, just looked at Ventura's lines and just nicked it from him. But uh, it does seem like something Jim Ross would say. Um, oh, it does. It, it's what he talks like on his podcast, though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's so dry, but like that line is so. It wouldn't have worked coming from Shivani or from uh, Eric Bischoff or anything like that. Shivani's too enthusiastic for that to work. That's the that's the thing. Jim Ross, when it's not a hot like a full on wrestling match, even if it's just hot women coming out, he just seems bored. (laughs) (laughs) Or he seems like this doesn't belong on a wrestling because he's basically Bill Watts Junior. You know what I mean? But um... he is right though. The shit doesn't belong on a wrestling show. I don't need to see fucking bikini contests and that, you know what I mean? If I want to see big jugs, I go and look at me missus. I don't, I don't need this in the middle <laughs> of a fucking sporting event. Or did you go to B&M and buy big jugs? Quite a lot, like. Way. <laughs> um, terrible, terrible. Um, at least you sold it more than the Jim Ross line, though. But, um... <laughs> what, is that what you need, adventure? To go, way. <laughs> <laughs> lads, lads, lads. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So what would you rather have done with Because the thing is, it fits the summer theme, I guess. And Just have one round. Just one round, yeah. Like You can have them come out and do that, then make it turn into an angle, okay. and you get your little cat fight, and it's going to build to something else and fit it into the Dangerous Lion story. But this just, just became... I said to you, didn't I? Like, by the third round of the bikini contest, when they do the cheesy fucking comedy and that, yeah, where like she's had oh. a swimsuit stolen, so... Well, should, should we cover that now? <laughs> we might as well, because I don't want to have to talk about the fucking bikini contest for a third time. Like in the third round, uh, Missy's had a bikini chored by Medusa, hasn't she? Yeah. So she ends up stealing Jesse's headscarf and neck scarf and wearing them as like a bikini that I assume Ventura never washed those scarves again afterwards. It just turned one into knickers and one into a bra. <laughs> the the thing is that the crowd just... Because they get into the idea of like naked women behind the curtain, but they know they're not going to see naked women. So that kind of like, I just don't think you can tease that kind of thing and not. I do know, it. You, can't, you can't get drunk enough to believe that they're actually <laughs> going to come out naked for that last bit, can you? Like, there's not enough beer that you can drink in the arena to believe that's going to happen. Yeah, and at least Ventura gets involved the third time round. Um, yeah, gotcha, because he just goes up and he's like, right, Johnny, listen, you've had your shot. It's enough of having someone gay doing this. It's time I got involved. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh, Jesse. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so then Missy, uh, she has nothing on. And, um, oh, no, so, sorry, Medusa, because they, they fight, don't they, after this? They do, I. But I said to you, this felt like we were watching a show at South Shields and we were just like on the beach and there was just some <laughs> stupid bullshit happening. It was, it was so Punch and Judy, wasn't it? 
Yeah, and especially with Johnny B. Bad, because the, the thing is, it, it's kind of like Sooty and Sweep, where Sooty can't talk. So, like, Matthew Corbett has to, like, what's that, Sooty? Something, something, yeah. you know what I mean? So and when they're just, doing it to the tent. So you can't hear Missy. So, yeah, he's just like, what's that, Missy? <laughs> you got no tap on. Like, <laughs> the show just all comes off the off the rails for me here, like. There's just no need for it. Like the Dangerous Alliance <laughs> match that comes afterwards against Nikita, Dustin, and Barry. Uh, they don't give you much of the story background. It just feels like one of those kind of New Japan style matches. And I don't mean in a good way. You know, when you get at the start of cards on a New Japan card, yeah, there's matches you're looking forward to. And it, it's usually going to be an event that's like a tour and lasts a few days. So it's like, well, you know, these matches that are coming in two days time, well, these have all got a hot issue, so we're going to put all four of them on one side and all four on the other as like a little teaser for what's to come. And like, maybe that works in Japan, but I just find it kind of boring here. It shouldn't like, be the it shouldn't be the filler match between uh, before uh, it's, when you look at the talent in that, and uh, maybe as well if, since they have Medusa uh, on on the heel side, if you just put Missy on that side and then have your cat fight there. Yeah, exactly. Also, right. Yeah. You might not have realized this, but on the Saturday night that aired that day mm-hmm. was when Wyndham lost the TV title to Austin. Right. And then they're doing this bullshit afterwards, and it like doesn't even lead to a, like, a championship rematch or anything. It's like, ugh. Yeah, and all kind these... of hint that it might. And, all oh, the these... world's grumpiest man as the referee. <laughs> like, no one cared. Like, and that's yeah. nothing against all the answer, but like, if you're going to have a guest referee, make it matter. And, and that was a Bill Watts thing. 100%. He just brought in Oli and they called him the most important, most senior referee in WCW. And they called him that every time they brought him out. And you're like, most senior citizen referee, Oli Anderson. I guess they brought him out to maybe imply that he would side with on because, I mean, that yeah. leads to the finish, doesn't it? Um... That really lame finish that clearly goes wrong and they have to do twice. <laughs> yeah. You've just had this pointless match that also it lasted 20 minutes. I know. At least those new Japan multi man. <laughs> tags are done in about 10 minutes and it's just a way of you seeing everybody on the card while you build up to the like lengthy battles that are to come this was a lengthy battle that didn't fucking go anywhere like on jumps off the top rope and there's maximum chaos in the ring and the referee fucking misses it and it's clearly <laughs> meant to be a dq and i don't blame Oli for that because he is just stood in the middle literally of a crowd of six people brawling at the same time, and you're like, "What the fuck am I looking at?" And Arn has to go up on the other turnbuckle and be like, <clears throat> and jump off that one as well to get DQ'd. And he's like, "Oh, that was that was just unnecessary." It, it was. Um, and, and apart from the finish, I remember very little about this match in general. So yeah. I can't. Really... There's nothing to remember. No, like it's a load of great guys that you would want to see in a spot where you really want to be going home, and like. To just do a match that goes nowhere. Like, I don't know. I feel like it really gets derailed here. It's like you next, you had that interview, you know, where Bischoff's interviewing Steamboat. Yeah. And Heyman interferes, who, by the way, also was the PWI Editor's Award. <laughs> like, there's so many award winning people on this show. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, all you needed was that there and Cactus Jack to attack him and further the story. Like, you didn't need this unnecessary match before. Yeah. No, I agree. And, and so, do you think, um, I find... Especially thinking you had the bikini match after that. Yeah. yeah this yeah, match, gosh. and then that interview, and then the bikini <laughs> bit, and then another match. Like, why have we watched two main events and then loads of stuff afterwards? Yeah. And, and the thing is, I know people are going to be like, what, so you're complaining that there's more stuff on it? But it's like you can, as WrestleManias have shown, you can have too many fucking things. On and you've already <laughs> been given what you want. 
Yeah. <laughs> Imagine getting given like this amazing dessert, this huge fancy fucking ice cream thing. You're like, oh wow, and then like, okay, now do you want your broccoli and chicken? No. <laughs> Of course I fucking don't. I'm done, me. Like, I've just had this massive, amazing dessert. I'm done. Well, do you, do you think, though, then, that because I don't think that there's anything wrong with leaving big names off a of pit view because you shouldn't overexpose anyone, I don't think, to the point where you don't care about seeing them because you've got nothing for them. And they can also use the fact that they were left off the pit view as a bit of a, why was I left off the pit view? I'm this person. You know, I could, you know. Especially when the bash is next month. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's something I need to tell you about that there because I don't know if you've seen that Great American Bash. It could be something that we'll cover for an not in a very long months. time. I've got to say, so yeah, I would watch that again in a heartbeat. Yeah, the, the last match, the Miracle Violence Connection, what a weird t- team name for Doctor Death and Terry Gordy versus the Steiner Brothers. Right, the Steiners are the most over team in WCW, and then you can tell the crowd are hot for them when they come out here. But Bill Watts hated Scott Steiner. And that a real personal issue where quite often it would nearly come to fights at tapings and stuff. So the Steiners are like eliminated from that tag tournament just before Beach Blast. And then they have a great American bash entirely about tag teams where the only team they leave off to like teach them a lesson is the only team everyone wants to see. Uh, it's easy to see why they win the WWF in a few months. Yeah, then. Bill Watts is why they left there because Scotty fucking hated him. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's just mishandling. Like, Dr. Death and Terry Gordy won an award as well. Like, they were the PWA, PWA, PWI Tag Team of the Year and the Wrestling Observer Tag Team of the Year. So it's like, it's crazy how well-received this roster is and how poorly handled it is. Well, ter- Terry Gordy and Steve Williams know they've got Japan. Um, and the Steiner Brothers, I guess... I, I, well, they maybe, had Japan as well, didn't they? Had, they? they had Japan as well, but maybe lured into like a short-term contract or something like that because of all the promises or whatever, and it can't hurt. But I mean, I don't think they wanted to go. And from interviews since then, they hated being there. They hated the travel. Yeah. Uh, they hated the... The match style. The match style. The I, I don't want to say shite teams that they were up against, but like, I mean, you have... They weren't on their level. They were, absolutely. I mean, the heavenly bodies, but that was a throwaway match just to put the signs and there was never a rematch. And just the, even like the pay, the pay-per-views didn't lead, lend themselves to things like epic tag title matches because it was always concept pay-per-views like Survivor Series or Royal Rumble and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. Scott would come out for like fucking five minutes on Royal Rumble 94 and that'd be it for him for the night. And that's Scott yeah. Steiner. Like it's, it's, it's just mental. It is crazy. So, um, yeah, a very a very forgetful six-man, unfortunately, when you consider the names involved. And then this is just forgettable as well, this tag match. like They, they open with a great kind of amateur wrestling style you'd expect. The commentary handles it really well. Like, JR brings up about Dr. Death and Rick Steiner being in the varsity club and, you yeah. know, like, <laughs> Ventura saying, oh, they're too stupid to have possibly gone to university and that. And they try their best. Like when the big moves eventually start happening after loads of actual wrestling, you get like the big suplex and the Steiner line and that. The crowd are getting excited, but fuck me, a time limit draw after there's been an Iron Man match. Like yeah. That 30 minute draw is not a satisfying end to a pay per view at all, no matter how much I adore both teams. So you've had like this this event with some good matches on. We had no US championship defended, no world heavyweight title defended. The tag belt's main event the evening, but it's a draw, and you're not going to see the Steiners again afterwards. It's just, that, that's not value for money. Like, no, that doesn't make me think I'll buy the Great American Bash. Like maybe it did when I was a kid in like '92 or whatever. But as an adult in 2021, putting myself in that position, I wouldn't think get in. I can't wait to buy the next pay per view so that everything I want to see happens in the middle, and then there's just some random shit afterwards that goes nowhere. 
Yeah, an epic match for the sake of an epic match with an a, a unsatisfactory finish isn't good. Very be little build-up as well. Yeah, and and uh, you know one thing that I hate to keep going back to WWF, but NWA did this too. Open with a tag match that's a draw, in the kind of you know yeah. you, you get your action. If this was the opener, it would be mint. Yeah, and then you could have had the Pillman uh, Flamingo match afterwards, and that was still great and had a decisive finish. Yeah, I, I just it just blows my mind that the pay per view ended on a time limit draw. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fucking start one like oh, and especially the, after an Iron Man. The thing where is, the that clock I, has been so much of the drama. Yeah, I, I've I felt almost obliged that I should enjoy this match, but then I felt I actually felt bad that I just couldn't get into it because I was so burned out um, after this pay per view, and it and and burned out. Partly because of the match order, but because the other match was was so great, like this really should have been match of the night, this uh, tag match. But it's just again it had no chance to be placement, and when you no again, reason for it, no, no, and when no build. Up, I think it's fine as well to, on a pay per view to have an undercard of some like not shit matches, but like uh, no squash matches either. But someone who you know is definitely going to lose, like Taylor Made Man, and someone well definitely yeah. going to yeah, and build up to your next thing and you know even if it means just getting to see the stars and stuff like that but it's just this pay-per-view i feel the matches on this could have been spread out over a couple of pay-per-views and it would have mm-hmm. benefited all of them yeah, um it was disjointed wasn't it, it i've never seen a pay-per-view quite like this because it's like i i, I wait till the great american bash <laughs> <laughs> um Okay, fair enough. Because I was going to say, like, because like something like Starcade '89, that Future Shock tournament, where it's done like oh, a right. league where everyone has to have free matches. Fuck me, that's tiring to watch. It was JR's idea that that could have been oh. great if wrestlers weren't all afraid of losing and they're like, oh, no, I have to lose more than once in a night. No, no, protect my image. Um, but again, for a pay per view, it's it's just one night tournaments are an acquired taste. They which we will get to next week, definitely. Then for <laughs> the Great American Bash, because I have a lot to say on that. Okay, well, if if let's say we compare this to like SummerSlam '92, the match quality here is far better throughout the entire card. But yeah, but the entertainment value isn't the entertainment value, and again, just knowing how to structure your card as well. I just don't know what Bill Watts was thinking putting this match in this order. No, uh, but no. this card it's in also this order, he so. he is booking for an audience of one there as well. I know these guys are two teams of legit big old bulls who they were amateur wrestling champions here and they were all American there. And like, that's all the stuff that gets his dick hard, but it doesn't like for an entertainment value for the rest of the crowd to like, okay, yeah, these two are great at amateur wrestling, but I'm here watching pro wrestling. I've just seen Johnny B. Bad do Punch and Judy with Missy Hyatt's tits. Like what's going on? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and even if you just look at the arenas, it's, it's a very, uh, the arenas like almost too, like companies, if you look at just the ring with the dimly lit ring, that's Bill Watts. But then you look at the entrance ramp, as we've <laughs> talked about, it's just like it's just this weird clashing of styles between you know whoever's producing the show in terms of how it looks. And it's Kip Fry's involvement, though, isn't it? Because yeah. it's the last show he had any involvement with. So you see the clash there. I can imagine this wasn't the real running order, and Watts was like, "Well, I've got to stomp my boots all over this." <laughs> It, and then I would say you, everyone should watch the show uh, oh, because definitely. like you can't beat a talent roster like that. Um, it, it feels weird that I would say maybe have a break between like the Iron Man match and the rest of the card. Um, that would be me. That would be my one mm. 
He's end on the Iron Man the for the love of God. End on that Iron Man. <laughs> yeah, maybe you go make home it, so happy and so dramatic. Make a playlist and just like you know, do in the order. That you... <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good idea. That's what the network <laughs> needs to introduce. Um, so yeah, uh, I'll, I'll be all over that. <laughs> so I'm very. It would be odd though with the commentary though, because they'd be talking about it. <laughs> that would be like that Channel Five show that WCW had. Larry's a Bisco commentating on his cell. Um. So yeah, I I've, I've, I did very much enjoy this pay per view, and the, like in 1992 WCW is like I say, I got into wrestling during this time, and and the merch was everywhere, but I didn't actually see too much of the footage, and it's been a long old time since I've seen uh, Beach Blast '92, and I don't recall a lot of it actually being edited on the video, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm really glad that I watched this, and it does make me want to watch more. Certainly. Good. Well, we will. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> we'll see comes. you at the Great American Bash next week. And hopefully you'll want to watch it too and we haven't put you off. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks again and we'll see you all next time.